I didn't really write much of an intro, but <laughs> here Darn goes. It. <laughs> Never mind. Is this Waypoint's new movie podcast? That's very funny. We should do Either that. way. How is he going to introduce this? We should do well, that. Look, I think the point is, they're letting us talk about movies again. Uh, Let's get into it before they find out. Vice yeah. is letting us talk about movies again. Uh-huh. I'm your Absolutely. host. Rob Zach, no, we're in it, Patrick. This is happening. Oh, it's in it. We're in it. Okay. Okay. We're, we're in, in it. it. See, I, see, I, you know, uh, right I, I feel like Rob has probably just been see, re- secretly recording. He's like recording pod. Like Beacon and Rewatch's feed has been going actively for years. Right. We've just, Rob, just unaware Rob of it. Monologuing about films. Yeah. Welcome to Criterion Corner. With oh my Rob god. Zachary. Yes. Well, now we got a name. Do we only cover Criterion films? No. <laughs> In fact, rarely. Are are we getting any sort of advertising and subsidization from Criterion? No, no. none. <laughs> but welcome to Criterion Corner. That's Patrick Klepek. Uh We're also joined by Austin Walker, our producer, Hello. Ricardo Contreras. Yo. And today we're talking about Steven Soderbergh's No Sudden Move, an ensemble crime movie starring Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, with Amy Simitz, David Harbour, Brandon Fraser, Julia Fox, and John Hamm and others. Before we get into this film, I am curious, what are your histories, if any, with uh, Steven Soderbergh or crime movies that sort of fit the genre? Well, it's a weird movie because I don't, I, it's not quite the genre I thought it was going yeah. into it. Um, the, it, it, I went into it expecting something slightly less comedic. It's a, it's a dark comedy. And, and that way, I think it ends up being a conversation. You, you pointed this out to me, Rob, with like the nice guys. I very much think this is like the mean guys or the bad guys would, would be a working title that would have worked here. Um, but with, with, with Soderbergh specifically, I feel like in the mid 2000s, I felt like he was one of the best directors working, um, uh, coming off of, of like, you know, Aaron Brockovich. And, you know, I, I have not seen traffic in a long time. I think my worldview has probably shifted a lot, but I remember really liking traffic. I remember really liking Ocean's Eleven as just like a fun trio of films. Uh, I, I sort of skipped out of sight in 98, which is a film that, that I, I guess I didn't expect this to be a lot like Out of Sight because that was an adaptation of an Elmer Leonard novel, and this just isn't. Um, uh, but, but I, I think I expected it to be a little, a little more like a traditional caper flick, um, which, you know, that's that's on me. It's not to say I did not like this movie. I'm just saying it, 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 fit, it actually ends up fitting closer to something like Logan, uh, Logan Lucky from a few years ago, directed by Soderbergh, than I thought it would. Uh, the, the, the log line for traffic and IMDb is very funny as you were, I've, I've never seen yeah. traffic. Okay. In fact, Steven Soderbergh, my relationship with Steven Soderbergh is people naming on his films being like, yeah, I've heard that's super good. And then not <laughs> having seen it, um, like including like the oceans films, which mm-hmm. would more would usually fall into my bucket of, of popcorn movies that, that I like quite oh, a bit. Wow. Uh, but just the, uh, it's on my list. Like I'm mm-hmm. at this point, I saw a, something from, I think Cheadle, it was like, yeah, he's, he said he didn't want to do another one. But then on set, he was like, ah, I think I might do another one. And so that might be my excuse to watch all those. Um, but uh, traffic, a conservative judge is appointed by the president to spearhead America's escalating war on drugs, only to discover that his teenage daughter is a crack addict. I know people really like traffic, but that log line sets off like a thousand okay, red so flags. That is the worst. Right so traffic is a great movie. That subplot is the worst part of it. It's so rough, Because man. it is 
it is full of, like <laughs> racial panic overtones. Right. Like the judge's daughter is is she's putting it out for crack. Oh no. <laughs> um and so it's it's real bad. Uh everything besides that is good. Um like, I remember it, being I, yeah, I remember it being stylistically incredibly strong and structurally very exciting for me as at the time of I guess a 15 year old being like, whoa, movies can do this, you know? Um, well, and, and the movie was, there's a scene in that movie where the, where this guy they've got in witness protection, who's uh, going to basically spill beans on a lot of cartel business, basically foretells what's about to happen to Mexico. Uh, because this is really before the, at least as, if memory serves, this is before you have things like the rise of the ultraviolent, like Zeta cartels and uh, the fact that like Sinaloa becomes like a uh, massive uh, hub for trafficking in the U.S. But this this guy basically lays out. He's like, look, you guys have shut down the Caribbean. Uh, the pipeline is no longer through the Caribbean from Colombia. He's like, it's going to be Mexico. NAFTA has basically made this predestined. Uh, you guys can't control this border uh, because you basically removed all obstacles to like movement of goods and services. And he's like, so Mexico, because of this, is going to become international uh, drug smuggling hub. Uh, and you can't stop it. And the next 15 years of like drug policy in this country, we're like, holy shit, we can't <laughs> stop it. And we appear to have really fucked up Northern Mexico as well. Um, and like traffic was, I'm not saying it was like pr prophetic because these trends were already underway. It was just reacting to things that were already happening. Right. Uh, but it was more on the ball than a lot of, than a lot of contemporary works. Uh, uh, Austin saying that him watching traffic at 15 and going like, Oh, movies can do this reminds me of how I feel. Soderbergh must have been on the set of this film with his shitty ass fisheye lens going. Oh, uh, what? What? Movies could do this? So he's been using a fisheye lens for a little while. Too, I love it in this, this movie. This, yeah. oh my god, I, I love it. Okay. It's so yeah, good. All right, yep. Got to use it in every shot. Every shot, Listen, every single shot needs the chromatic aberration and the fucking be, distortion sure at the edges. Steven Soderbergh's favorite ride at the at the festival is to go into the carnival and see the wacky uh, mirror distort his this body. Is, this is a movie about cars, and the, the world looks like as if through a car's reflection from a 1950s fucking chromed out thing. Yeah, yeah. Also, the movie's called No Sudden Move, which means that when no one is moving, you you almost can't tell that the world is strange. But the second it has to pan, the second someone moves out of frame, everything distorts and gets the weird. The second it twisted. zooms a little bit. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But if everything is still, every, the world is completely fine. But the 1950s, the world isn't still, is it? The world is about to move into a period of uh, or America, at least, and into in increased uh, uh, racial uh, uh, segregation and increased uh, uh, racial, uh, you know, anti-racist violence through protests and uh, uh, riots in cities like Detroit. Like the world is about to move, except that the, it turns out companies don't want it to move. Uh, companies, <laughs> in fact, would like it to stay completely uh. the same. Uh, please don't talk about pollution. Please don't talk about. Uh, we'll get well, there. Sort of. I, I think well, we'll we'll get to that. But Austin, um, that is a great reading because fully half our emails are about that lens. Uh, okay, yeah, like sure. Half of, of the people. How could they not be? Right. Yeah. And it's really divisive. Um, for me, it was like 
I like your explanation best. I think that does a great job. Like the fact that it's as if you're watching this movie projected on the fenders of like a 1950 Cadillac or something Mm -hmm. like that, where it's all curved and weird and distorted. Mm -hmm. That's great. Uh, For me, it was also like the, the squeezing at the margins of the frames um, is also like, this is a movie about like what is happening at the margins um, and, and who's under pressure and and who is not. Uh, Apparently the lenses were also era appropriate, which is part of it. Cause we have wide lenses today Mm. that uh, um, will Correct for those things. Correct for Quranic aberration, well, um, and are a lot sharper in general. So, like, part of the reason the film looks the way it is is using lenses from the fifties, huh. specifically. Um, you know, it's like newer film stock and stuff, so the colors are different, obviously, than films that w- would have been made even in color back then with using different, completely different so coloring is it, methods. Is it modern but, cameras, but but old lenses, basically? Yeah, essentially. Yes. Gotcha. I mean, this was shot digital, right? Uh, I don't. I couldn't does, find. Does he that do anything? But I yeah, mean, this is, this is a dude be, that like shoot, shot a couple yeah. movies on an iPhone. Yeah. So right. Yeah. I mean, that's that is apparently people say that's kind of ground zero for where Soderbergh begins to really get uh, fixated on like presentation uh, mm-hmm. through through the glass he's using. Uh, but anyway, let's get into the movie as as best we can uh this is not a long film but it's a fairly involved one and i can't lay out all the twists and turns in this synopsis uh because this is a film that i think for me starts with a bit of misdirection a group of desperate criminals is assembled for a home invasion job where they will force auto executive uh matt works played by david harbour to carry out a heist in order to keep his family safe um the job is sketchy as hell. It's unclear who is really organizing it beyond the menacing middleman, uh, Doug Jones, played by a magnificently large Brendan Fraser. Uh, he, he really Brendan looks Fraser. like a mountain wearing a fedora and a cruel expression. He's great. He was like channeling Philip Seymour Hoffman in like the best ways in this movie. I like really enjoyed the performance as kind of like, oh, that's who we're getting through through Brendan Fraser, who I've never seen like this, like in this mode. I, yeah. I, I saw like uh, I, I could see that I it was strong Orson Welles uh, vibes mm. is what I was getting from <laughs> Orson Welles. Like, touch go look evil. up Orson Welles getting drunk on the set of a, of a wine uh, commercial <laughs> shoot. And like <laughs> I felt like Fraser was a slightly adjacent of that. Uh, I saw I got, another reviewer well, say Sydney Greenstreet um, sure. from sure. Maltese Falcon. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the thing that I love about him, and which I think is both Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, Orson Welles, is the sort of like, oh, this is this is a man of of letters. This is a man. Oh no, he's barely contained rage. He's actually like a deeply judgmental, <laughs> yeah, like like pressure cooker ready to go off at any moment. Um, and so the scene where he finally does and just begins throwing ins- insults around is incredible. Uh, the, that that like going from like oh yeah I trust this guy he's a big he's a big lovable crime guy to ah uh, I see no he's he thinks he's I mean, better than it, everyone it, else they see that room. like fairly early in the scene when like he's uh, walking with uh, Benicio's character and they're like who's this guy who's this guy I don't know we're meeting all the guys I know you we're meeting all the other guys today and like, <laughs> right. he's got, like a little bit of like <laughs> a little burst he's really oh, really not here for, <laughs> when, they, when they're arguing over the back seat yeah um, yes. also well, uh, a good bit. And that's and that's the thing. It's it's clear from the start that the two hired guns at the center of the scheme, uh, Don Cheadle's Kurt Goins, uh, was the first character we meet, and is kind of our ultimate, like probably our, our primary point of view on the story. Uh, Don Cheadle's Kurt Goins and Benicio del Toro's Ronald Russo 
These are guys who, for different reasons, are desperate enough that they can't be picky. These are the guys you pick for a bad job that stinks to high heaven. Uh, Kurt, in particular, is a suddenly infamous crook who has somehow betrayed two different criminal organizations, <laughs> tried to blackmail them, and apparently the fallout from that, which sounds like a completely different movie, right? This right, is a character yeah. who just walked out of one movie into a new one, uh, because the last job he did, where he's trying this like double blackmail scheme, sounds like it left a massive bloody shootout in its wake, uh, and now he is persona non grata uh, in organized crime. Uh, and Ronald Russo is a... He feels like a uh, you know guy part of organized crime who is having an affair with the boss's wife and is in the process of possibly burning his entire life down um, <laughs> and is in a really exposed position. But either way, I think we're we're set up for a tense drama with this cast and the Wirtz family. And for a little while, that's the picture we get. Uh, family secrets are revealed. The crooks have more and more doubts about their job. And then all hell breaks loose, Uh, except it breaks loose a third of the way into the film. And the rest of the runtime is split between Ronald and Kurt's desperate attempt to figure Mm. out a way to escape this bind they're in. uh, And the Wirtz family's attempts to escape the situation without either getting killed by gangsters or busted by the police. Um, And so over the course of all this plotting, no sudden move becomes a film about capitalism and also the way it interacts with professional racial and sexual packing orders uh, in this era. And so like, I mean, you go, I went to this expecting a heist film yep. and it kind of blew up the heist film a third of the way in mm-hmm. and then became something very different. It's still a caper because you get the, the joy of people trying to one up each other and, and trying to find the play. Um, there's, there's a couple of great sequences where, uh, 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 Goins and and Russo um kind of determine that actually there's a there's a we could be bolder we could go further. Goins always has a way of of trying to trying to make the 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 bag a little bigger before snatching it. Um, figuring out who to go to instead of the the low level crime. Instead of going to your middleman, you go to the boss. Instead of going to the boss, you go to whoever hired the boss. Instead of going to whoever hired the boss, you go to whoever's the boss of the guy who hired the boss. Right. Um, and all of that stuff I think is fantastic at putting the idea of hierarchy front and center and like mm-hmm. and and realizing oh no there's money we, you know we were gonna get paid five grand for this to sit in a room for three hours and to us that feels like incredible money but by the end of this you're going to meet a person who's going to give you three hundred and seventy five thousand dollars and not break a sweat about it because his money he makes him money that's how much money he has he doesn't have to do anything and that like journey across uh, across cast lines as that character ends up uh, describing them is really fun um, and is a, is a fun take on the caper film, which which often will have the sort of like, okay, I'm dealing with security guard. Well, now I'm dealing with like the bank manager. Well, now I'm dealing with the CEO. That style of arc is, is not uncommon among a caper film, but seeing it play out here and seeing it play out wide across multiple states as they drive into <laughs> Northern Ohio at one point, um, again, the car is very central. You're driving all over the place in this movie. Uh, is really is really interesting. Also, the opening heist bit is good. Like the speed with which they get in the house and like like oh, I guess we're in it now. I guess we're not <laughs> doing a long setup. I guess we're there in the house with masks on. Great uh, masks too. I love those masks. That's so funny. Yeah, little like I don't know what are they canvas. The or? little I don't puppy know dog are. ear thing the effect they have too at the end is so weird. It's just like it's like homemade. You've you've gotten some some cloth. 
you've cut holes out for mm. your ears and your eyes, but there's still dangly bits on the side. I love it. It's great. It feels like the type of mask that because uh, two of the dudes are white, like it's supposed to like kind of like uh, obliterate any sort of like recognizable facial features. But for Don Cheadle's character, it's kind of like, oh, the one black guy, it kind of like sticks out even more. Right. Instead of being like, hey, I'm kind of hiding my identity. It's like you're going to remember because this contrast is high. <laughs> there was a, that one black guy there. <laughs> um, we should be clear. One of one of the guys is white and one is passing as white. Right, right. I as, mean, like, yes. professionally, you know? Um, the entire sequence at the uh, at that house, uh, the, th- the thing I love, first of all, Amy S- Simons' Mary Wirtz mm. is just incredible portrayal. For me, maybe the most interesting performance in this film. There's a lot of good performances, but I think she kind of walks away with the scenes she's in. Um, she is... Uh, like, so David Harbour is the auto exec that they're basically like uh, coercing into stealing some documents from uh, his boss's safe. Um, but Mary is his wife. They are unhappily married. She appears to be uh, working on an alcohol problem. Uh, he's very judgmental about it. Uh, the, the marriage is on a, a real downslope. But the movie really like gets rolling when she walks out into her kitchen and there are these dudes in these ridiculous masks. And the thing, God, I love this. Del Toro's like, what would you, they have this exchange. What would you normally do? And she is freaking out, but also she's trying to answer the questions. And he keeps trying to like lower the temperature. Like, hey, we're going to be cool. This is going to be fine. Yeah. And she is trying to match that, but she can't. And every step of this, like when her kids come into the room, uh, the panic builds again. Uh, but you do see that she is, she is hard as nails. Um, there is a moment a little bit later in this when, you know, normal life is continuing. They can't get caught this way. Their kid, their daughter has a pickup to go to school and there's a bird feeder project, uh, that she's got to turn in. And so she sort of like puts her face on and, to her daughter's friend, she hands the bird feeder. Oh, she's sick, and you know she's she can't go to school today. And then the uh, the other mom who's running this carpool gets out of her car and starts coming up the front walk, and she delivers this line. She's like, "Well, I don't think that's going to be the end of that." <laughs> and it is such Very a good. it is such a suburban so moment where it's like you're just trying to just don't be a fucking busybody this morning. Yeah. Um, and the other but part also- of it was. I have this moment where I'm like, is this whole neighborhood mobbed up? Because um, the reaction is like, something's wrong. And it is clear later they have a relationship that is intimate at the very least. At the very um, least. I, I, I think those two characters are, are in love and are, and are yes. dating. She, yeah. th- th- they are queer characters. And queerness <laughs> is important with why she is man- why she, how she manages to be as cool under pressure as she does. She is always acting, right? Like, well, there's that a is- great... Del Toro's line where he's like, we're, you know, I know what it's like to not, not to want what you're supposed to want. Right. Um, And it's such a good line. And he, like, she doesn't know how much he empathizes. Right. Well, there's something so fun about those early scenes, which is like that whole family falls into place the way in very revealing ways. Mm -hmm. Um, The son really wants to be the, the chest out version of the father he thinks exists the sort of like big man of the house and like the dad just isn't that 
the 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 daughter is playing the role as best as she can the way she sees the mother playing the role as best as she can and the mother falls into an easy rapport with a bunch of cr- criminals because she also knows what it is to lie not only to lie as like a queer woman in the 1950s who's stuck in a marriage uh um but also as someone who just doesn't buy suburban life she just doesn't click with it there's that great scene later where she's like how do you how do you deal with this with this stuff all or how do you deal with being in this position um and that that revelation of like okay why is she so chill why is she able to just like immediately and she doesn't want that rapport with the criminals who are who are trying to hold up her whole family but she just, just has it they want to talk to her in a way that is comfortable for them which is interesting yeah, I, I think the entire thing plays out so well. I think the child actors are always a crapshoot. I think the the kids, uh, like broadly nail it here. I think the way the um the little girl is so cold. Like, there's this great scene she's playing with her airplane, and then I think <laughs> Don Cheadle's trying to warm up to her, and is like, "Oh, what did the plane land?" She's like, "No, it crashed," and it, like is just yeah, like uh, mimicking. God the mom a little bit in terms of just that cold matter of fact like yeah life is shit what do you expect uh-huh um this will just get lots of in this early segment everything's fine everything will be fine we're fine even through like i believe the interrogation with the cops eventually everyone is just like if we just say we're fine enough it's gonna be fine right i'm not right. sure i'm not sure i buy the ease at which they got the kids to get on board with a story <laughs> i don't i don't agreed story like it was story convenient the one slip up is a a them instead of a mm-hmm. he. Like I mean, I get like it's slick. You know, this movie is not as slick as 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 an Ocean's Eleven. It's like it slightly messier on on purpose, but especially for like the topics it's playing with. But <laughs> I, mean, just, I guess mm-hmm. that's just me as like a parental bias coming. It's like fuck off. Like not a ch- not a those chance kids you those got kids would have those kids to, to line <laughs> yeah. up that quickly on on that story. Like <laughs> John Hamm seems like a, a shitty cop that would also press like like it would only it only takes a little bit to push on a kid to to get them to bend and i just didn't <laughs> either john ham asked one question and then was like well that seems satisfying uh, to me um well he's kind of doing the columbo thing of like let them tell their bullshit story and like all spin their bullshit story and then you blow the whole thing up at once um and also he, his real investigation is going to come off book, uh, as we discover. Uh, you know, he's going to do his real detecting when there are slightly fewer, um, you know, people are around, and he's just surrounded by his tightest crew. Um, Can I? Oh, so this is a side note. This is the uh, I a lot of decent performances in this film. I did not like John Hamm. I don't know. Like, I didn't seem like. Okay, here's a theory. I have not watched every performance. Is he an actor? He's a very good comedic Ooh. actor, right? Very funny. Yeah. But I'm increasingly wondering if he sometimes a role is made for an actor and like uh, he's incredible as Don Draper, like does right. inc- ap- you know uh, uh, masterclass acting in, throughout that series. But I have a real hard time buying him as other characters. And I don't know how much that is. Sometimes a character defines an actor to agree that you can't see them any other way. But also, I think there's a almost a woodenness to Ham's like dramatic acting that I don't know. I didn't like buy like well, here I expected him to like a- slip into something more comedic because maybe that's I'm just used to it as post Mad Men roles as like largely being that. That's a lot of what he's yeah. done after after that that series. And um, but I don't know. I just didn't. Really- I think there's the one scene that works for me. I'm, I'm with you, and I think part of it is 
he's actually playing a schmuck who's dressed up as a, as a big big shot cop. And yeah. the only scene with him that works is the final scene that he yeah. had, or the I think it's the final scene that he has with uh, with Matt Damon's character with with Lowen, where he's just like handing over all the <laughs> the cash, and he's yeah. just like, "You fucking idiot! You absolute like the police are the worst people. Yeah. You're the worst people that there are, and you're the worst version of it." Um, is is and that he that can't one even take the money and run. He can't even. He, nah. he, oh, he has extra money. He's giving the the CEO more money than he lost. He gave it's him incredible. the money that that the gangsters used to bribe him. Yeah, yes, that was that's, your him. that's your bribe. That's yours. Uh, that's yours. That's you keep that's your the fucking honest bribe crowd. money. Sort of. Don't. God. You got an $88 bottle of whiskey out of it. <laughs> it didn't sound that impressive, even for the time period. For the time. Uh, I, feel, it's not that. I feel like there, when, when that was almost like a sleight of hand on, oh, so on Damon's character's part to be like, well, 88 is going to sound impressive to this piece of shit, but like <laughs> I have a $400 <laughs> You know, three thousand dollar whiskey sitting next to it. Uh, we'll get there. We should. We should yeah. set that. How we should set that scene up. But so, I think that you're right. There's one other. I just want to point out one other similar uh, performance that left me cold. And we'll, we'll get there. Is Ray Liotta's, who I like Ray Liotta a lot. Yeah. But his like mob boss here, like that was in, felt incredibly phoned in. Like he just couldn't find the groove, which is a shame because the other characters in the scenes with him are all killing it and he's yeah. like sticking out like a sore thumb it's really i'm here rough. i've done these movies before yeah. right it like- it's so frustrating <laughs> this and is also this is his the thing his 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 uh uh opposite in the structure of the film is a uh, is bill duke playing a wise and black bob a uh, mob boss and he's great and he's fantastic he oh, has bill the, duke he ha- is just bill electrifying duke just knocks out the fucking I mean- Park. His wardrobe and stern expression are doing so much. Like, Bill, Bill Duke takes a great still photo, and for half the movie, that's all he has to do. That's all he has but to then do. the final scene, he makes it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, anyway, we should get back but, to summary. So, I think the other thing here is um, David Harbour as mm-hmm. a man who is suddenly thrust from his life of quiet desperation into loud desperation <laughs> um, as he attempts to, it is all, it all comes out. Um, he's been having an affair with his boss's secretary. Uh, he's got to go in and steal this thing from his boss's safe. And he can't even, he's basically flaming out throughout the entire scene. He cannot keep any cool as he goes through the office. He is visibly freaking out. Um, he is supposed to use his connection to the uh, secretary to get in that safe. Instead, he just like almost physically like pushes past her. He steals the combination and runs to the safe <laughs> to steal this thing. Um, she is meanwhile expecting him to have uh, like told his wife that he's leaving her and is running away to California with the secretary. Uh, this is, but he is just too in, in too much of a panic mode to address that. But the thing isn't there. The The paper he is meant to steal is not there. And so he fakes it. He just grabs some documents. He gives them to the uh, to uh, the, the other Culkin. criminal. Kieran Culkin. Kieran, yeah, Kieran Culkin, who, who does a great job. Another yeah. character who you like, oh, yeah, this is the regular guy. No, he's not the regular he's guy. Not. <laughs> yeah, and you expect it's go- what's going to blow this up is he's giving bum documents. But Kieran Culkin immediately breaks script, and when they all get back to the uh, the uh, works house, starts ordering the guys. He's like, hey, 
get everyone in the room. Wait, and does he break script? Yeah, I don't think I don't read that as breaking. No, I read that that's as him having well from from what Kurt and Ronald from their perspective. From their sure. perspective, yes. yes, yes, yes. From their perspective, job done. We're all about to take like we're going to get out of here. Um, and Kurt starts to realize like this guy is winding up to kill a bunch of people. Um, and there's this ringing phone uh, throughout this scene Ugh. as uh, like the as presumably Brandon Fraser's character is calling to check in. And at some point it becomes clear, like Kieran Culkin's character is about to shoot um, like a member of the family. And the next thing we hear is a gunshot and his head explodes as Kurt shoots him dead. Um, Yeah. It's a great, I love that sequence. And I, I also love it as paying off something that gets set up moments earlier or not moments earlier, but like, you know, 15 minutes earlier, one of the ways the mother um, tries to calm her kids is by saying they're not going to hurt us. That's what the masks are for. Uh, because if if, if they were going to hurt mm. us, then then they would if they're going to kill us, they would not wear masks because our memories of them wouldn't matter. But yeah, he takes the mask off when he comes inside the house um, or before he comes inside the house. And, and the and husband, the you know, David Harbour is like. Hey, what happened to your mask? And he's like, it was bothering me. <laughs> Which is like, ah, uh, itchy. Mm, yeah, it's itchy. No, you're gonna kill some people. Well, and then we have a truly hilarious moment as Mary, like they're trying to figure out what to say over the phone. And so again, just this grotesque of middle class life. Uh, he's indisposed. <laughs> He went out. He went out. He's unavailable. <laughs> this is how we this is how we talk about tragedy in America. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um and eventually like Kirk gets on the phone and Brandon Fraser doesn't give a shit about uh the dude they've just killed. He's like, "Okay, kill the family, kill Ronald, mm-hmm. and you'll get everyone's share. You come meet me." At that point, Kurt knows this whole deal is is scuppered. The whole the yeah. whole thing is uh, a setup, and so he tells Ronald, "We got to get out of here." And now these guys are on the run. They're they're not getting their money. Not before they don't coaching the father as like here's what here's what happened. <laughs> right, <Yeah. laughs> this this person broke in, and then you shot from here, and like they kind of help set up the story just to kind of cover their tracks a little bit, which is uh really funny. Just like. Oh, okay. Uh, they're they're gonna leave. They're gonna leave now and uh, go, go with God. I guess. Like, yeah. Well, and they say, and and Kurt says, "I'm gonna need something from you. I'm gonna right, call on this right, favor, right, right, basically. Yeah. Like, I just saved your family's life." He doesn't say it in so many words. I just saved your family's but life. It's, you're it's gonna you're gonna save everyone mine. in the room. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so then these two crooks are kind of Kurt already had no one he could really rely on, um, and now it's very clear that the to the guy who set him up with Brendan Fraser, like what does he know? He so Kurt now is is sort of a man without a country, um, and Ronald's kind of in the same boat. They're, they they need that money. Um, they're also like implicated in whatever this scheme is, uh, and they're probably going to become the targets of it. And so now they are kind of like in this mode of it is like Detroit itself in some ways has become like hostile territory. But they also have connections there, particularly Kurt still has connections there. And it is about leveraging the last of those connections and calling in those last favors to try to make some final plays to escape this. And that is 
the rest of this movie is like characters figuring out what's our final move here going to be with what we have left. You know what's interesting about this is I hadn't thought about this until this moment is this movie ends up being a lot about capitalism by the end and a lot about the ways in which wealth is obtained. Um, and, and something that's interesting about the, the way this works is like they don't have shit right here, right? right. They have a little bit of information. They, they know that there was something in a safe that uh, David, Harbour's, it, it, David Harbour's boss had that other people want for, for money and are willing to kill for it. And they have their old connections, most of which are bad because they've ruined them through previous schemes or current affairs. Um, and what we see is two men trying to pull themselves up by their bootstraps as best as they can. <laughs> and doing but it they, not But they left the, the bootstraps at the last <laughs> Yes, they absolutely did. So they reached, they reached down for the bootstraps and, ah, shit. What's shaw shit. And – they don't have anything to – it's all about trading information that doesn't even exist and that they don't understand. This is like a movie about, uh, 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 you know, brokering more than creating – it's like, okay, we have something that's worth money. We're just going to trade it back and forth hypothetically until it's worth even more money. It's like they're about to open an IPO at the end of this thing. The IPO <laughs> is this Sounds a bit like cryptocurrency. It is. Um, like it's, it's definitely a weird like um, I need, you know, I need you to immaterial go, uh, capitalism thing. Go hire uh, five thugs for what? Uh, like I'm not really yeah. sure. I don't know. I'm gonna knock over a glass, I guess. Uh, just <laughs> exactly. like in case, just in case, just in case. Put them on the payroll. Don't, don't try to read my face too closely because I'm bull. I'm bullshitting. I don't. Right, I, I have no idea what these thugs are for. <laughs> Technically, they have a little bit of uh, VC. They both got paid uh, in advance <laughs> for the for the heist. Yeah, they have their yeah. seed money. They have their but seed now, money. <laughs> all of a sudden, like those investors have come. At, like you know, what do you got? It's what do you got? Well, I got this. And they're like, ooh, that. And they don't know that they've got they something, but those investors is. are very excited to give them more money for it. The investors don't even necessarily know what it is. And in the end, the investors They look at the it. other investors and they're like, that investor is interested? Yeah. Time to put more money into it's this thing. It's so funny. It's That's a really fun read on this that I had not even considered. Anyway. <laughs> well, and I think, so the only person, the, the funny thing is, Ron's connections suck. He his connections are to <laughs> yes. a crime family that he's not even sure like how much can I trust them anymore because again, banging the boss's wife. Like the first thing we see when we meet him is Julia Fox leaving his place, uh, commenting quite frankly, "We both know it's not really me you're fucking," um, and that says a lot about the nature of that affair. Um, but the only person then who seems to have like actual connections here and i think this is kind of where the component of race comes in comes into this and that's going to become this is kind of critical like kurt's what saves kurt through this is community that's the that is the lifeline he's grabbing onto and it's what he's going to ride all the way out of this picture but his first stop is to his ex um Oof. and because he's trying to line up like again what are his last plays and this is maybe the only truly safe place he can go where like there's nobody waiting for him with a gun. It's a I think it's a really well executed scene. Uh the new husband doesn't like Kurt, doesn't like seeing him uh appear on that doorstep. It's heartbreaking because it is clear that his ex still does love him. You know what I mean? Like there's still mm -hmm. a lot to that relationship. Mm -hmm. Um and I there's this undercurrent as well of um I think the to me the the lines were a bit forced where like 
as um, Kurt and uh, his ex's husband, like they're trying to make small talk, they end up just talking about like, so that redlining, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and all those highways they're building. <laughs> like a little, it's a little, little, it's a little more than a little on is. the nose. Yeah. But uh, also, that is what's happening at that point. Yeah, and the and these are people who are in the know enough. They're framed as in the know enough to, uh, to be aware of what that looks like long term. We know that, for instance, Kurt is already about his property. We know that there is a piece of land he's trying to get enough money to go buy for forty seven hundred dollars, right down in Kansas City. So he's interested in in property in that way. And I don't just the dude that he's talking to here. Um, which I didn't read as her new husband. I read as her father, but I, but yeah, I, same. But I may have missed something there that I think him. for me he's, it was the fact that at the end of the scene when he's talking to his wife, uh, Lauren Lestrada's uh, Clarice, you hear a baby crying in the background. How I long? read that as Kurt's father, yeah, or Kurt's, Kurt's uh, son, Kurt's kid. How long had Kurt been in the in jail though? That's the thing. Did <sighs> we ever get sure. a date? Because if the date lines up, that's yeah. absolutely his kid, right? Like right, if the right, timing right. is right. That's what the point of that I, was, was that he's like, I didn't, come back to a community, but he's only come back to that to get the thing that he needs to move forward. Right. right and then he's, right. he's, he's not sticking around for that kid. He's out. But also he that even, family doesn't want that dad or that, right. that, that man does not want him here right. in any fucking way. Right. Um, the she obviously does. Right. Like maybe oh, there's yeah, a different, 100%. a different world where she goes with him and they have their family together. But like, that's not on the books. That's not even. This is the thing. Like, <laughs> again, this is, this is kind of why I read it as not the dad. Like her leaving with him is not on the table. Like she has, she has moved on. Right. Um, and so I sort of, sort of read him as like, he's the guy that she's moving on with um, whatever, the, but whatever the, you know, like actual characteristic of that is. <laughs> The yeah, fact it does that we can't that tell like, says Kurt, a lot, though, about mid-century gender relations, right? Uh-huh. Is it the husband? Is it the father? Uh, whichever it is, that's the person in charge of this he's household. Not going, he's not going to check right. out that baby. Right, right, <laughs> true. Um, and I th- I actually, the, 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 the observation about like this scene being uh, slightly on the nose in terms of talking about sort of like the broader politics is actually like a broader sort of like problem I have with the film – which like not to jump to like the last like the closing credits, the conver- but yeah, but yeah. but to have like this this movie like wants to, ha- to have it all to a degree that I don't think the script is able to balance in which it wants to like talk like have redlining, but also wa- wants that stuff to like happen as like it wants the audience to put together what's going on. Like this movie suffered when when I I put it on and was like catching up on some email as well, and then like thirty minutes in realized like ah shit, like this is a movie I need to like full pay attention to like it's not you know it's not going to do yeah. uh some ha- some hand holding um in the way that i sort of expected based on just the pat like Soderbergh's past but i think the script like suffers from not c- more fully committing to elaine and like the final bit of the movie which we'll get into as we get to that point like like is almost like throwing its hands out and being like yeah and like, here's the I, message there was, yeah here's and not even here's the <laughs> message but, like she's like actually if that had been forwarded in the conversation in the text, I think would have given the movie more like interesting weight over like what these characters, like I understand it's a MacGuffin and at the end it reveals the MacGuffin, but it's like either don't reveal the MacGuffin and let the audience like be the one that figures it out and why it's important or, or, or actually like explain it and give like a broader societal context for like why this would be like, I, that's where I found like it was b- both Silver's filmmaking and the, and the, and the script like, 
trying to be too clever by half in a way that undercut what it was trying to accomplish. I mean, and I like the, I should point out like. The, the script is written by Ed Solomon, who has done a lot of say. films I love, like like yes. Bill and Ted. Yes. Like the most recent Bill and Ted is fucking awesome. It is a brilliant balance of nostalgia and like generational filmmaking. Like, it's it's super good. And he's in Men in Black. Like this is a dude that like r- does all sorts of weird. He shit. helped write the Super Mario Brothers movie. There you go. <laughs> um, uh, he most recently, or one of the things he did most recently, though, worth saying, is he did work on Mosaic. In 2017, 2018, which was a murder mystery directed by uh, Soderbergh, um, uh, that was like their version of a um, a Sam. Uh, why am I blanking on his name? Wow, uh, uh, her story. Um, uh, oh, uh, Sam Barlow. Sam Barlow, a Sam Barlow joint, where it was an app based thing where the movie played and you could choose different perspectives to see the plot in huh. as as it happened and i really like seeing that i now want to see i now want to go watch that six episodes i'm very curious about it now i was not previously particularly curious about it because it felt so gimmicky um but but thinking now about like how this is a story where i wish i could have gotten some additional perspective like stayed with a few characters in certain bits a little longer i'm now retroactively more interested in mosaic sorry rob it looked like you were you had something potent to say no, I was just, I think this is to a degree Soderbergh also reacting to the times, like things have moved up. And like, I think Soderbergh fundamentally yeah. is a guy who shoots movies about characters. And those characters can be motivated. Like, we were talking about, like, the risks these guys have to run. The fact this is the, uh, the secretary even delivers this line to uh, to David Harbour's character where she's like, you you almost had the brass ring. You just watched it go by. Yeah. Um, this is a lot of the, this movie is different characters trying to grab the brass ring. And a lot of it put me in mind of one of the, the if, if Ocean's Eleven has a motivating statement, a thesis statement, it's that, you know, if you play against the house with the same odds, you don't change the stakes. House always wins. But if you have that opportunity, you fuck them, right? You hit them as hard as you possibly can. You take everything you can and you run. And that's the only way to get ahead if you're a working stiff, right? If you are not yeah. capital, that's what you got to do. Because in the long term, capital's the house. Capital's going to win. This movie's kind of operating in that template. But that's not a language that Soderbergh speaks really natively as a filmmaker. Um, he's not. He is interested in it. Um, if you look at The Nick... Like that is a series that is entirely about like social currents and dynamics of like the turn of the uh, 19th into the 20th century uh, in New York. But he studies it through the lens of characters primarily. And here, I think where this movie sometimes stumbles, it is just, it is trying to be like, and here I'm also telling a story about America, about industry and race in America. And I think there's filmmakers who can carry that off really, really well. I'm not sure Soderbergh is one of them. I think about um, there is a scene, and we'll probably end up talking about about this movie. Michael Mann makes movies about like hyper individualists in some ways, but also if you look at Thief, Thief is a movie entirely about capital versus labor. Yeah. Um, and without being heavy handed about it, it has a character basically enunciate this theme of like, look, you can be as good at you want as your job, but like. We control it. We control what you get. We can control the terms of your your employment. Um, and it comes across as very natural. And I think in this film, 
when these speeches <laughs> you, are made. Yeah, Matt Damon, the rules, the come Matt on. Damon, super villain. Yeah. Uh-huh. God, the stunt casting is great. And then it's just, you give him a bunch of fucking, like, I'm going to explain, like, a, a nuanced script suddenly, like, deviates into... A, a, like a super villain like Lex Luthor it is, it explaining is, their is, plan it is yeah it is it Lex felt Luther. like it is, the it big is. short it's like it, trying to explain this to someone who hasn't thought about it before levels well but life. the big short yeah. that's its whole theming right, right. right. that's the yeah. point of that whole movie but this one scene was yeah. like almost pulled from that I'm style. gonna turn to the camera <laughs> And well, have you been following what's going on? <laughs> and this is the thing. I think to a degree, I think this is where Soderbergh has maybe changed as a filmmaker and he is reacting the moment he sees. But that's how it kind of feels. Is like mm-hmm. midway through this movie, this movie's like <gasps> capitalism. And the movie's like revelation. Holy shit, this is how it is. And I think for a lot of us, it's like, yeah. Yeah, dude. This is how um, it is. But that but is, I will say also the movie's people, been doing that so, all along. It didn't. It didn't. I am the thing that. is my my only counter argument to this is I am a great proponent of us of if you're going to be someone who has a message that you don't think is widely accepted among your audience, just fucking say it to them. Sure. Just spell it out. <laughs> but I think there are like, right, like I, pa- the movies like you know like Parasite that are can get dinged as of like course. wow Captain Obvious the movie's like yeah that's the point it's uh, but I mean I, I mean just, dude you say that but think about how many people saw Parasite and were like yeah sure yeah if those people just didn't want so much didn't just try to take so much take advantage are, of that I, rich I guess family it, I guess my problem you know? is I, I'm I'm with you I I don't think there's anything wrong with a film being obvious and, and heavy handed yeah. about it, its themes to make a point I just think. This I was think done, that done, done, done very The monologue is, is rough. Yeah. The monologue like, is, be- is not There was a the better way to do these same. Yes. I like. I could see the meeting yeah. where Solomon and Soderbergh are talking. They're like, oh, it'll be Matt Damon. And the audience goes, ah. <laughs> and like, I, I see how you arrive yes. at that yes. moment. I just and there didn't, are lines And I enjoyed it work. in the moment. I like, I was I was like, yeah. this is delicious. <laughs> and then it went on for about five minutes longer than mm-hmm. I needed. And, and, and then as soon as like the scene was over, I was like, huh. Well, I don't know about I don't know about what just well, happened. And then as much as I enjoyed the, the candy, stuff, the thing that's interesting is it then gets back to the best parts of this movie, right. which are backstabbing and cut and, to the and gangsters going out to talk work. to John Ham and right. like, oh, and, okay, and that stuff works, and the follow up stuff I think with with Ham and and Damon works, and all that almost says a lot of what the big speeches are saying. Yeah. More, you know, in, in a more nuanced or a, a more flavorful way. Um. Anyway, we'll we will get there at some point. Well. Yeah, I think um, – yeah, I, I, I would actually defend some of that monologue a little more. But yeah, but I think get like, where Let's we get see that. this film address broader socioeconomic realities, it can be a little bit clunky. And so we get – and mind you, we've got only a couple minutes with Kurt and his former family, right? Right. Um, I think broadly the scene is carried out well. But what he's, what he's there to get – you're talking about like seed money. He's also stored yes. just a little bit. He already has a MacGuffin. Yeah. He has one of his very own. It's his rainy from day from the previous fund. movie they didn't make. Right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> from the 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 Yojimbo Yojimbo of Detroit, dude. That's uh, what it is. What if it all went wrong for Yojimbo? What if it went yeah. wrong for him? Yeah, and he ends up on the run, and both the gangs are still standing. Yeah, it's great. I love it. It's fantastic. Um, and but it's the book. It's the it's one the 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 second MacGuffin is is uh, it's the ledger. It's a MacGuffin, but it's a ledger for the black crime boss. Uh, Aldrich, or not Aldrich, it's, uh, Al- what is it? Is it Aldrich? It's oh, Aldrich. Aldrich. 
Right. Al, Al, Aldrich, Aldrich. Or Aldrich Watkins. Watkins, Watkins. Yeah, Watkins. is the last, last name. name. Okay. Aldrich, of course, is the uh, boss from Dark Souls 3 who eats <laughs> Dark Sun Gwendolyn. And I think Nito, though I think the fandom has moved on and believes it's not it's not actually the devourer of Nito. But mm. Aldrich is called the devourer of gods, not the devourer of a god. So we know it's at least two gods. I think the other god is Nito the Gravelord. He also okay. uses the grave. Anyway, we'll we'll sure. get back to that. We'll get there. We'll get we'll get there. It's later on in the it's later on in the movie. Uh, Aldrich, Watkins, can you imagine? It's the Matt Damon scene, except it's Aldrich, devourer of gods from Dark Souls Three, is in that room. Uh, you Capitalism know, it so- strikes again, baby. Uh, Look, Soderbergh uh, is experimental. He's into brand yes, crossovers. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, anyway, I did Aldrich- not create the river. I merely paddle the raft. <laughs> Exactly. I did not light the fire. I merely kindled it. Um, the Jesus the, Christ. <laughs> uh, 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 just uh, Don Cheadle as the unkindled. Um, the 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 object. The book is a ledger of all. It's just like here it is. All the crime I did. All the crime the black mob of Detroit did. Well, and also all, all of its connections. All of its yeah. Exactly. Yes. 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 So it's just like. It is a Rico case. I guess, wait, was Rico law, did Rico law happen yet? yet? Didn't no, exist yet. So. But it doesn't matter because this piece of evidence doesn't need Rico law. Rico law exists because this piece of evidence. The government couldn't make its cases. So right. they needed exactly. to create a law that made it easier to convict people. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God bless America. Um, the, the, and so he gets it, right? It's in his, it's in his old luggage. It's, it's in a hidden compartment sewn into the or sewn into it i guess um says goodbye to his his ex sad yeah it is and he's not gonna be back and the thing that emerges here is so what's this all about for kurt well the other thing running through kurt's background is that he's a guy who's already had land stolen from him um so and, and a lot of this movie, again, like we're talking about like Ronald and Kurt, they're both guys who've been sort of marked by the ways some people aren't given second chances or some people have what little they possess taken from them uh, just because it can be taken. And so like the thing lurking in the background of Kurt is that somewhere along the line, his family owned land and it has now been taken from him and he wants it back. He wants to buy it back at an unfair price, but by God, he's going to go get it. Um, and it's not, I don't think it's ever spelled out how that land was taken from him, but like the history of, uh, you know, post slavery, uh, you know, uh, black wealth is taken by some means one or another. Um, and he's trying to set that aright. So there's already something sort of, um, uh, you know, quixotic about his quest where like, I think other people in his life would be like, take that money and just, fucking leave and he's like no i'm gonna go settle up this other account that predates my first movie the right. prequel about how my family <laughs> lost its land i'm gonna go put that right with this money uh but his whole idea is he's gonna leverage this this ledger that everyone wants but then they're also gonna figure out what was that document we were supposed to steal in the first place there's still a buyer for that but they want to un they want to solve the mystery of who was behind brendan fraser who right. actually put the deal who in motion? Him. Yeah. yeah, and so this is kind of where he and Ronald need to work together, and it's an uneasy alliance. We get little tastes of Ronald isn't a really noisy 
isn't a, isn't noisy about his racism, but he several times comments on the fact that like he just doesn't like working with a black crook because like they're so greedy. They always ask they're for so more greedy. than they should. They always ask, yeah, they always they always want more. They always want more. Or just like uh, the yeah. scene where in the very beginning where he's like, there, um, Kurt's already in the car, and yeah. he wants to sit in the back seat, and he has, and Kurt scoots over, and he like. Makes a really big deal of wipe like wiping the seat off before he sits down, like things like that. Yeah. Uh, it's also it, it, we we will you know as we learn in the the end of this movie towards the end of this movie that that Ronald's last birth last name birth surname was not Russo or his family's surname was not originally Russo and and they are hiding their heritage uh, uh, presumably as as Latino some of some sort. Uh, uh, and in and as in some degree, a lot of the anxiety here is not just boilerplate white, you know, racism. It is specifically the anxiety of feeling like you've almost done it. You've almost infiltrated whiteness. You've mm-hmm. almost not only are you passing in your generation, but you and yours are about to pass forever. You're going to be in, you know, initiated as white. Um, you're a Russo now, baby. And and that feels like it's at threat via proximity to blackness mm. um blackness has a stench to it in america and if you're not careful that's how people will read you um and that anxiety again here is a place where the movie just lets that anxiety breathe right and it points it out a little bit in that big speech he says you know damon damon basically says that this guy's family's name wasn't russo just like his wasn't originally Lowen. Um, but it isn't, it doesn't get further interrogated and, and it, it kind of does bring to life some of these previous interactions in a really good way without being didactic about it, you know? So yeah, they're uneasy. It's fair yeah. to say they have an uneasy alliance <laughs> for sure. But they do need each other because Curtis has the last good connections, uh, for, for one, a place to lie low. Um, again, like there are people, uh, that he knows who are still willing, even though it's not a good idea. There are still people who will take his money uh, to shelter him and uh, and Ronald. Ronald is needed because he is at least. It is unclear how much his cover is blown with the crime family he's a part of, and so they need to make a move there, um, and sort of put him in play uh, with by having him go and make some moves with Ray Liotta's Frank Capelli, who's the leader of the Italian mob. Uh, in Detroit, and they're going to use him to figure out, like, uh, again, who is behind the theft of the, um, like, documents from the safe, and they're also going to dangle that ledger um, in front of him. Likewise, uh, there, there's a plan that Kurt appears to be hatching uh, to also dangle that uh, uh, ledger in front of Watkins, uh, who the last thing his wife told him was, you know, Watkins is never going to let you leave Detroit alive. Um, and so these two guys have to work together because they have to deal with their their two former mobs. Um, and they have to work together to solve the mystery of like who the hell was trying to buy that that safe document. And we do get a little bit of an answer uh, for this as far as. We do check in on uh, David Harburg's Matt Wirtz one more time this night. Um, he goes and confesses to the secretary of how fucked up everything's gotten. She is living in a uh, hotel because she confessed uh, to her husband that 
yeah, that she's been having this affair with Matt. Um, and that's the fact that he's uh, reneged on that is bad enough. But he puts it together that they were already planning on stealing the same document that they actually put in the air that they could sell this document. Mm-hmm. And then he got cold feet. And he suspects whoever they're no, selling it to. No, he was thinking through it. Thank you. <laughs> he realized it was wrong. I had a little bit of sympathy oh. for him. And I was like, wait, he was thinking through it. Oh, God. But he did tell the guy he wasn't going to do it. Yeah. He did. He did. He thought through it. It's not that he was thought through it. I think that's the, I think that's the specific it. phrasing that he says. <laughs> he says, he says I thought it. through it. It's so And good. he decided I should probably not get involved with organized crime. And then pretend but this I never gonna happened. Fu- I, I am going to dish my family and two kids to go to California with this woman. Wait, was it organized crime at that point? I thought it wasn't. I guess it was. It was just it him was just selling it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was It was literally just stealing the information Another and give it company. to a different car company. Because he's GM, right? He's part of yes. GM. He's, uh, and so it's like Studebaker, Studebaker or somebody wants Studebaker, to buy Packard it. Packard or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Studebaker. Two sorry, companies Studebaker, that you know, auto history, are doomed in very short order. Uh-huh. Uh, right. Um, and if you don't, don't worry. Matt, Matt Damon, 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 Damon yeah. will say it. <laughs> Just outright. I give them a year. Oh. Tweet it out. Um, the <laughs> uh, So yeah, he's going to screw up. He's going to steal that thing. The plan was, I'm going to steal that document, which I don't know what it is. I'm an accountant. He's like not even in accounting. He's in, he's an accounts payable or something like that. Mm-hmm. Another great little bit. Um, and then he's going to sell it to somebody from a different car company. And then... Um, I guess Studebaker Packard isn't in this collection of the, the big four. That's part of it, right? Right. Uh, and uh, then he's going to take that money and go move to California with his mistress, his boss's secretary. That doesn't come to pass. He chickens out after thinking through it. And uh, <laughs> she is not pleased, I would say. I didn't chicken out. <laughs> it's There's also a line he says I, yes. get, I don't think like David Harbour is also a particularly good actor but like when he is appropriately cast on this he, line yeah he yes. played like this is yeah. just adjacent to the sheriff in Stranger Things which is just like a schlubby and go look at I haven't seen Black Widow but like he appears to be just playing like a schlubby dope it, but in a, in a superhero costume and with a bad like <laughs> Russian accent in, in that in that film and like he's good in that wheelhouse like I David Harbour is is fantastic and he he pl- he plays it well here with his his gla- his Clark Kent glasses and I would say him. he's never more in his wheelhouse than when they go to his boss's home in oh suburban God. Detroit <laughs> to go get the documents that he's sitting on from his private safe at home and for some reason so <laughs> just a series of bizarre sequences they first they're holding his wife hostage at some point, Benicio del Toro's I'm mask gets like itchy, it. so he yeah. drapes an upholstery cover over her. Like a, I think it's like a quilted like a, blanket, not a yeah, quilted it's like blanket, a blanket, like a it's like a, a, a woven blanket or something. Uh, yeah, it's so She's just funny. Sitting there, trembling. I'm sorry, I'm just very. I've had a very long day. <laughs> I just have to do this. <laughs> just, so yeah. then, David Harbour goes and talks to his boss. Um. And he's like, I'm going to get this out of him. Don Cheadle never shows his face to the boss. Instead, David Harbour, in his element, as he begs his boss to just give him the document. His boss is like, no, I'm not giving you a document. <laughs> and he starts undoing his cuffs and calling to the boss like, what are you doing? He's like, this is a warning, sir. I'm going, I need that document. 
I really love my job. He's like, why do you need that? It's like, well, I talked to the guy that made it, and he made a few (laughs) mistakes, and he would like to correct them. And so I'm just here to facilitate that. He's like, I made it. He's like, all right, (laughs) that was a lie. And then they just cut occasionally to like Don Cheadle being like, the fuck is going on? You are... (laughs) Oh, it's you so just hear funny. this, sir. I love my job. I need you to understand how serious I am because I love my job. The fact that I'm going to beat the shit out of you shows you how much I love my job. This and is so, important. I wouldn't do this otherwise. It's so funny. And so they get the documents, and this is basically now the movie's done with David Harper. Sorry, one more line. This is going to be a punch. <laughs> I'm going to punch you. I'm going to punch you. This is going to be a punch. <laughs> That might be the funniest bit in the whole movie. Is that? Oh, uh, there's that one other sequence. sequence that might that I think is a little funnier, but we'll get there. Yeah, so very close. It's like that's kind of David Harbour's arc here. We'll have one last scene uh, with, with him near the end. I, I will just say this: one of the other subplots running through this is with every step Mary is taking away from like being confined in this like button-down uh, middle-class marriage. She is increasingly herself and increasingly self-possessed and in control, and her wardrobe is changing. She yeah. begins the movie in a frumpy, like, floral housecoat, and by the end, she's gone full beatnik, um, you know, tight pants, turtleneck, mm-hmm. uh, smoking a cigarette. Like, she is mm-hmm. uh, becoming more herself as the power dynamic inverts, um, and it's it feels like, I don't know, maybe their marriage will survive. Don't care one way or the other, but either way... He is no longer in the controlling, like, driver's seat of it. Um, It's been fundamentally uh, renegotiated and the dynamics flipped. Um, He also might be going to jail before this is all over, but but who knows. Then, the other thing I I dig here, they got to set up this this swap. uh, And that requires Benicio Del Toro talking to Ray Liotta. I agree. Not a very convincing performance. we functionally, I think what we gleaned from this is, you know, for all Ronald's, uh, you know, protestations that just doesn't like working with Kirk. Kirk's so grabby. He's always asking for more. Kind of sounds like his issue in the, in the Capelli family is also that Benicio del Toro is a guy who can't toe the fucking line. And in some <laughs> ways, the things he sees on Kurt are maybe things he is projecting from himself uh, because Capelli's, you know, argument, he's like, why are we at odds? And the real answer is banging the dude's wife to a degree. But even deeper than that, Ron was in the running to be a mob boss. And people just didn't trust him with it. And and uh, Leota makes this comment. He's like, you're always, you know, heading the wrong fucking way. Um, yeah. And it's like you, 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 you can get in line, but you walk the wrong way or something yeah. like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so. They end up setting this meet with uh, with Leota and Brennan Fraser, but Kurt has called in one last uh, you know high ace. He's called the surviving members of the Purple Gang, uh, which was I think a Jewish mob uh, that uh, ran Detroit before like the the Italians uh, moved in. Um, and so he's called in the last gunman from this previous gang from like the prohibition era to sort of watch his back in this meeting. Uh, and it's clear they are about to get whacked at this oh, meeting yeah. and um, they got the guns pulled on them. 
And they turn the tables, exit Brendan Fraser in a hail of purple gang gunfire. This is this is the sequence where Brendan Fraser ends up being very uh, uh, judgmental of Ronald, uh, uh, calls him sloppy. Um, uh, there's a bit where I just love it. He he talks about the entire like the meat, and he says this whole thing's offensive. <laughs> and it's just like he thinks he's like so above this sort of criminality. It's so good. It's- and then yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great scene, great performance. Um and then it ends in a very funny way. He's killed, they drag Leota out of there, they throw him in a trunk, and then while they are making some phone calls, he promptly escapes and is back <laughs> in the wind. Yeah. Um So we could tie that loose end up immediately, right? Which is eventually finds his way back to his home where his wife, who he's found out by the way, is cheating on him and it and has in fact, hit her. We've seen off screen because she has been bruised. Uh, he he makes those accusations based on he kind of he kind of you know uh, flips uh, Ronald around, uh, flips the whole situation around earlier by getting Ronald to admit that there is an affair or, or gesture at an affair uh, by mistake, um, which confirms his suspicions. Uh, anyway, he comes home, finds uh, you know is, is himself now beat to shit from dealing with Kurt and and Ronald. And when he goes upstairs to find his wife, his wife is there uh, bruised and holding a pistol uh, and ends him then and there. Uh, we see her at that point fully committing to Ronald, whatever whatever his side of the story will end up being. Um, so peace to Ray Liotta. Yeah, and that's all building to a head. Uh, oh, they yeah. unpack who all are the buyers for this document. They have a conversation um, in their in their hideout where Kurt is like, let's raise the stakes one more time. Let's sell to both buyers and Ronald Ronald. I think the, the, I think the cruelty of this is I think by a lot of lights, Ronald is the guy who appears to make the right decisions. He appears to like, he's like, I don't want to do it. Like I'm playing for these stakes. No higher. Like we're going to take our end. We're going to get out of here. Um, and it's going to go wrong for him. Um, in large measure because he's trusted the wrong person. But he's um, also he's also misunderstands what Kurt wants and why Kurt wants yeah. it. Yeah. In his mind, he thinks Kurt wants more because he's greedy. What he wants more for is to buy himself out of uh, a target, right? He he knows that he has uh, a, you know, a, a dot on his head. He knows that he's marked for death from both Watkins and Capelli. Oh, I guess at this point Capelli's in the wind, so they, I, they don't know where, where he is. But but knows that at the very least there's a bounty out on his head, yeah. so he wants as big of a payday as possible, so that he can return Watkins' like ledger plus a payday that will hopefully set him straight with that gang, so he can leave with his meager earnings. He doesn't want much. He wants enough to to make it till tomorrow. He wants enough to to live and then to go live a life somewhere else. Um, but that's not clear to Ronald, and so there is this mis miscomprehension of of what the situation is in which he again says like i mean he uh, this is the line where he says like it's bold it's bold you know it's crazy it's bold um is, uh, i read that given what how this all plays out i read mm-hmm. his up like the second level of like going to matt damon's character as yeah. a setup for ronald because he knows that the gang is gonna come get him right 
Right, right, right. 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 So like yeah. that is just yeah. to yeah. throw him off the scent of what where the actual money that they can keep. Like to in some in some way, it feels like Curtis knows that that money is gonna find its way back to Matt Damon's character, <laughs> one way or another. Yeah, it's because that the, that's, the ending it, of it is a little the, hard to. Sure. I was gonna say even the gang boss says that money's too expensive for me. Right. <laughs> yeah, but that's that surprises Kurt. Kurt thinks like the whole money is going to well, be taken by. Well, but he knows he Watkins. knows what's happening, right? I'm not entirely sure he does. I don't know that he does. I don't know that he. I think that he is. Mm-hmm. I think that he expects Watkins to take that money. Maybe he he expects you know some of it to go back to bribes and other stuff. But I don't know that he thinks that it's a. He wants to buy his way out. He really, right, right, right. you know, I think right. It just he is just wrong. Like I think his the thing he's wrong about is that he can buy himself out. And that's not why Watkins is going to let him go. And yeah, and, and Ron doesn't understand that they've just got like this this need to keep pushing the stakes higher to to be able to make the escape. Um, but yeah, so they they set this up. Um, they lure the Patsy from Studebaker uh, out there. He proves to be irrelevant because again, pecking orders like Studebaker and Packard are not going to make it. Their auto executive is not a player in the end here. Um, he just needed to confirm why this why this mattered um but they they meet the man behind the curtain they meet matt damon and matt damon is so it's very funny i think the other thing here is that matt damon is kind of echoing two previous roles i feel like he's echoing his role in um the good shepherd where he was playing a version of james jesus angleton uh who was the counter intel uh, chief for the CIA and and famously kind of lost his shit uh, doing that job, but that movie is is all about like he is the embodiment of like wasp privilege and violent defense of that privilege, mm. and then Matt Damon just made Ford versus Ferrari, which is yeah, kind of this right, nostalgic sure. like yeah auto industry, um, <laughs> you know power and ingenuity engineering, and here he plays a guy who is the man behind that entire industry controlling the flows of capital uh, with, within it um, and is also completely ruthless about it and uh, is there to enunciate perhaps too clearly the entire system uh, that he is, that he symbolizes. I don't know speech. how the scene land for y'all. Oh, we already kind of talked about yeah. it a little bit, right? Yeah. Where I, I, I think, think, I think my, my issue was like the, I didn't, the quips weren't particularly good. Right. Like the line uh, where, you know, they're like, this is a bunch of money. He's like, well, I'm going to call my banker and I'm going to sleep like a baby. It's like, I feel like I've heard that, ver- you know, and, and on one hand, oh, he he's just, you know, cosplaying as a supervillain because of the role that he I like. I, I don't know. It's just it's like it's fine. It works really well in the moment. It just didn't sit well with me afterwards. Like I understood its role in the script and his performance was fine. It was like it, it worked. But I don't know. There was I just felt like the it was just a little tad much for me but also that may be because it feels in some ways tonally out of place with a movie that isn't like that forward and like slightly i don't know that's where it aired more comedic in in a way that felt like slightly out of place with like the tone that it was writing elsewhere um and i think that's where that that's where it fell off for me but i I liked Matt damon playing those types of characters so much that i didn't like I, i i didn't care it's just yeah it's really just how it felt later thinking back on it that I kind of felt iffier. I think, I think the thing I like about it is that I, I think the speech at times is uh, clunky. I think sometimes his, 
his demeanor is. But I think it's supposed to be. I think the the one thing they do effectively here is you don't leave feeling that character is cool. He thinks he's cool. He thinks yeah, he's yeah. he's powerful. But like he's throwing a tantrum throughout that meeting. And you know what? He's okay, sulking. I just want to as an aside. You know what? I, the the show Loki is on right now, and uh-huh. like. There were like strong Tom Hiddleston playing Loki vibes in like in that character, like <laughs> someone who thinks they're very cool, someone who thinks they're in control, but actually they're a child that is just throwing a tantrum. So there's like a little bit of like I'm watching weekly Loki episodes and then I see like Matt Damon come in and to me like feels like he's channeling like Tom Hiddleston doing Loki, but happens to just be like stuck on Earth by Odin to like run, <laughs> run, run like the auto companies. industry. That's one of the Marvel what if episodes. I'm yes, pretty sure. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Like yeah. that's. That, like as I'm like sitting with it and trying to unpack my reaction to it, like I I cannot help but realize like I watched a Loki the night before and like there's just a little like a lot of that energy happening there in that in that character and how and how I read it. Anyway, yeah. sorry I was interrupting your point. Yeah, no, but no, I I think like he is not he's not cool about the entire thing as much as his he protests that like i don't give a shit about this it infuriates him that he lost it all like it infuriates him that much like brendan fraser he finds it offensive <laughs> to be here so does matt damon like he's trying to play it off like yeah. you guys are schmucks for even thinking you can tangle with me uh, against but think- all laws of history nature and class that's how he sees mm-hmm. the world the yeah. world is he should never have encountered these guys these guys should have never made it into a room with him these guys work for guys who work for guys who work for guys who work for Matt Damon, right? Which or is why he asked, like, can you uh, explain to me yeah. how you right. got – That's Steve, my favorite like, part of that scene. What, what, think, that, 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 yeah, that, that little exchange and also Don Cheadle not wanting to explain it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And um, getting the and, information and, out of him actually. Yeah, yeah like that, that little bit is, is my favorite. Um, to, uh, for ex- people who maybe are only listening to us, part of that exchange is he's basically saying – where did it break down? Where did my... Where's the weak link yeah, in says, my... Please uh, fill out this survey after your phone call. <laughs> yeah, ba- basically. <laughs> he's like, he's like, so what, he says, what's, where's the bridge between you and me? How, who was it? How did we get to this place? What, um, uh, uh, get some pushback. And he goes, I believe all truths must be acknowledged, however painful they are, or else there's no growth. Uh, what I want to know is, was it my guys? Was it my structure? My weak links? My overreach? Where, what, or was it that I was simply outplayed? And yeah, Don Cheadle's like, well, all that really matters is we're here. <laughs> and, you know, we know everything. We know everything. We definitely know everything. We know all Absolutely. the details. Everything. We're very on the up and up. Yes. Well, And then well, the, the actual thing he ends up hitting him with is, is suburban expansion, uh, is the destruction of local black communities uh, and the replacement of local black communities and businesses with – sprawling white suburbs and highways right he says black bottom paradise valley which are two detroit uh uh neighborhoods uh that were that were affluent and black um that were were destroyed as uh as part of the sort of like move towards car culture and and white americana um in these in these places um and he puts that on damon as a representative of these big car companies right and and as a representative of kind of like white american capital um, he literally says you leveled entire neighborhoods, right? You, 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 you put, you know, you, you got rid of everything that we have and you're not letting us back in via redlining. Um, uh, and, and this is the, that is where Matt Damon does the, um, the, this is the way the river is flowing. I'm just paddling the boat line, right? Like someone would be doing this, even if it wasn't me. And I think this is one of the other things that this movie's getting across is that. 
we're at an inflection point in this movie where these things were not inevitable. Like, right. the development of the highway system wasn't inevitable. There were already things there. Those places had been developed. You had to choose to create the interstate highway system. Likewise, the thing that they are holding, this MacGuffin, uh, and it ends up being the MacGuffin of the nice guys as well, but at a later point in history, uh, the thing that they're holding on to are the early plans for a catalytic converter uh, size to fit automobiles. And the catalytic converter uh, basically, and again, this is sort of Chekhov's gun, it reduces some of the uh, like more immediately toxic uh, byproducts from internal combustion engines into less harmful things like CO2. Um, <laughs> and, oh, well. But the thing is... <sighs> The auto industry would not make the catalytic converter standard on cars for like another 25 years. And the film kind of ends on this note. Nobody was ever fined for this. But they did know that their cars were wildly polluting. Um, and not in the like greenhouse gases sense, but like immediately like poisoning other drivers who were in traffic, the communities they were passing through. Like the car was uh, a little smokestack running, running around uh, through neighborhoods in America. And Again, this was not this was a choice. They could have they they could have been upfront about these risks, uh, but they wanted American car culture to be cemented. Um, that America that that the automobile would become the uh, both the way of life uh, for America, but also its defining industry. In 1950, it wasn't as far along. Like the streetcar line still existed. A lot of these neighborhoods right. still existed. By 1975, they will all be gone. And neighborhoods will have spent 25 years steeping in poison uh, as a byproduct of these of these cars. Right. Like, this is this destroys literal neighborhoods and communities, often uh, uh, from from, you know, minority uh, groups. It also destroys uh, the environment, not only in terms of long term uh, devastation to to the world uh, via via eventual greenhouse gases and the destruction of the ozone layer and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but also through the cr creation of highways, right? Like Los Angeles, a lot of people, and I think a lot of people believe Los Angeles was a desert and therefore the kind of perfect place to bring greenery and highways to uh, as, as, as the, the Americans get out there and, and, you know, rejuvenate it with, with civilization. And in fact, like, Los Angeles was like swampland. Los Angeles mm -hmm. had marshes. Los Angeles had had that whole area was filled with water um, and greenery, and that was steamrolled over so that it could be turned into uh, high, highways and suburbs. Um, and I know you probably just talked about some of this stuff with LA Noir a couple of weeks ago, Rob. <laughs> but like that that stuff, th that kind of like. The sword cut two ways. The sword <laughs> held by by uh, American capital cut two ways. It cut against marginalized populations and it cut against the earth. Um, and uh, neither were in the position to stop it. Uh, and and here it is again, you know. Um, and and no one held them accountable after the fact, as as yeah. kind of the postscript to this reveals. And so, you know, Matt Damon walks out of here, um, having closed the deal, and then. Uh, you know, Aldrich shows up, uh, Watkins shows up and it appears to be a double cross where he's going to, where, where Ron's going to be left with nothing, but Watkins is just there for Kurt yeah. and it sure looks like Kurt is being frog marched to his own execution. And, and Kurt asks, what about the money? And Aldrich says, 
that money is too expensive. Um, and so Ron is left with this King's ransom. He runs to, uh, Julia Fox's character. They make an escape, but they've been noticed by wait, the police. Wait, wait, wait. We have to slow down. This is the funniest shot in cinema. Mm. Fucking Benicio Del Toro pours all the money out on the bed, all <laughs> from the first bag. Yeah. And she's like, oh, my God, there's so much money. He pours a second bag. And she's like, oh, my God, there's more. And then he puts the biggest, thickest cigar he can find in his mouth, reaches around as much of the money as he can hold, stands up and at a distance looks at himself in a mirror. And it just it's just like a little boy pretending to be a crook. Just like <laughs> the money is falling out of his arms. Ma, it's I did incredible. it. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. extremely ma, I did it. It's extremely, ah, I'm a mob boss now. I yeah, like see, it's, I, it's, it's, it's almost as though so he, good. he had envisioned that ahead of time and it was se- the scene was seated earlier when he's yes. like looking at all the scotches for Matt Damon's character and just opens up a thing, a tin, finds a cigar, <laughs> plucks it into his, like it's, it, the movie doesn't remark on it. It just, no. it just Correct. happens. It's and good. it's just set up for this, this payoff uh, later. That's, it's that's, that's so good. I, it's like, it hit me at this deep, terrible level. I, uh, God, I also God, thought he was about to have a heart attack at that moment. Cause he oh, also sure. looks unwell. 100%. Yeah. 100%. He's so overwhelmed. <laughs> a quick detail too. I forgot. Matt Damon lampshades the structure of the film, but also puts together that he and uh, Del Toro know each other. Um, right, right. Del Toro interviewed for a job at one of the auto companies like 20 years ago. And so this this crook, yeah, this mobster, yeah. was also knocking on the door of being an auto industry exec. Uh, and it sounds like on the engineering side. Um and they went their separate ways. It sounds like he did not get the job. Maybe he was not Russo at that time, uh, but he was a vet uh, back from uh, you know a time in in the army. Uh, Damon alludes to this. The, it, the timing seems like a little bit wrong for World War One. Yeah, the, but, the timing in the scene kind of broke me a little bit. How old do we are we supposed to think Matt Damon's character is here? I think we're supposed to think he's like fifty. There's no way because he talks about being he talks about twenty eight. Being in 1928, feeling bad about the direction the company was going in, which yeah. would have been 30 years ago. So I guess he was a 20, 20 maybe he was a young employee as yeah. a, a young shark. I guess that works. I, I think it does. Works. Yeah. Okay. Because he, he basically he goes from I don't want to be an auto industry exec. I want to be a capital manager. Right. I mean, it's also right. the case that Matt Damon yeah. as a person could not. Yeah, it's not, he's not full Paul Rudd who hasn't aged, but it's <laughs> like it's difficult for him to play. I think this is a situation where like he's playing an older character, then he appears because Matt Damon just looks really continues to look he does very look, good he looks and very young. Young, yeah. That's that's the thing. Um, man, you know we should all buy a zoo and uh, just be ageless. Um, <laughs> this is also the scene where we get that Lowen is, of course, a, a, a change to the original Lowen Lowen scene, where uh, it's it's not clear that he is. Jewish, it's clear that he thinks that people will think he's Jewish. I thought it was more German. German. He says oh, specifically you're right. German. Okay. okay. And that you're he's right. actually you're Swedish. Right. right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, so like, but both of these are characters that were like, we, like, they met at what proved to be an inflection point for both of them. And Ronald's shot at being an, a legitimate, like, auto engineer fades and he becomes a gunman and uh matt damon feel sounds like 
things broke bad for him in the industry. And he was like, you know what? I'm just going to become the arch criminal of the entire right. industry. Of the, of the whole industry. Right. I'm yeah. not going to be a little player anymore. I'm going to be, I'm going to run the, the rules. Like that's, that again, goes back to that rule speech. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. But uh, Ronald and Julia Fox head for the hills. Um, he's Literally. convinced of being followed by the cops. They, he asks her to pull off the road and like go into a, a blind. And she kills him. Uh, she double crosses him, takes the money and runs and gets like 50 feet. <laughs> because what does what does making America primarily uh, 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 a car country also do? It makes you more trackable as everyone has license plates. Everyone's regulated in that way. We see the cop or we see someone writing down a license plate number earlier when they're fleeing the hotel. He doesn't have to give uh, immediate chase because he can put out a call to other police to say, well, if you see this car, let me know. Uh, and he, obviously he's in the general area. Um, but 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 yeah, like that that particular note, too, about here's one of the ways in which moving to an individual a world of individual travel instead of they couldn't they didn't just hop on a bus and disappear. They didn't hop on a train and and you know, fall into into obscurity among among the many. They drove away as individual again to go back to that speech. The more we would reference that speech in abstract without seeing it, the more yeah. I like it, unfortunately. But there's I, that great I, bit at the end where he says where <laughs> he says goodbye to them and he's like, Good to meet you both. Individualists. Defiers of rules. And like that's the world he sees. Yeah. That is the world of the future in which the individualist in America will will succeed. But and also he's mocking it because he, he knows is. it's not really true. Well, right. he, knows like, he knows it's not for them. Individualists yeah. like him can claw their way up into great power, but they are they are not or he they wants are not them welcome to, to play that game. He wants them game. to believe that they exist in that world, but actually they don't. Reach, gentlemen, he said. Right. Oh my god. The more I yeah, um, say the more I think about it, the more I feel like the the reason it's kind of didactic is that the character is being didactic because he thinks these people are lesser than him, right? Like Right. It's right. like he's, he thinks he's holding court with, exactly. with a bunch of yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'm doing um, them a favor. I'm explaining to them the, the way the world works. Right. As if they don't know intimately the right. way the world works. <laughs> so and I think that the closing of the loop with Julia Fox, I think the other thing is, as we've seen with the uh, the Wirtz family and then the way it ends for Ronald and uh, and, and Mrs. Capelli, um, again, wealth and the security it provides ends up being a thing that warps sexuality and relationships throughout this film. Um, you've got a lot of people who are fundamentally unhappy because they are economically just stuck in a lane that they yeah. don't want to be in. And it leads to some... Uh, awful like awful dynamics like people end up making horrible choices and doing horrible things to each other uh because that is the that is the way that they see forward um and then we get i think you know we see watkins brush off the cops he pays off um john ham's character who who appears here at the end uh and yeah john ham's we allude to takes all this money he recovered and just gives it back to Matt Damon, including the bribe money that Watkins gives him. Matt Damon's even surprised <laughs> to get the bribe money. And including uh, some of Capelli's money. Because yeah. because the in the bags, the remember so they've they've been paid three seventy five from Damon and uh, Mrs. Capelli, uh the 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 um it's not the mistress of Ronald, but Ronald's Ronald's the person who kills Ronald. Yeah. Vanessa, uh, yeah. Vanessa also stole thirty six thousand or whatever twenty six thousand whatever it is thirty six thousand I want to say from or thirty one thousand from um 
from Capelli or from like the house, presumably, right? Like this is just like some rainy day money around the house. And so they end up with not just the 50K or uh, Damon ends up not just with the 50K, not just with the 75K or 375K, but also with that initial or that additional $31,000. And it's just, it's so funny as uh, John Hamm just keeps producing more and more cash to give over to the already so rich he won't even feel it. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, industrialist here. Well, it's just the ultimate bootlicking, right? Yeah, Where 100%. it's just like, please, sir, like here, take take all this money that was in my hands. I wouldn't even think it is not even like literally. John <laughs> Hamm, as in the embodiment of like police corruption, like what the uh, police are in some ways, cannot even conceptualize like taking this. It's like yeah. no, like this again. Yeah. Like Matt Damon alludes to a caste system. Part of that is you aren't even allowed to handle this money. You just turn it over to uh, to the master, and you take what the the leavings at his table, which in this case appear to be E and J brandy. <laughs> uh, yep. There's the uh, the a line I, I love just of when he hands over the the big case that's supposed to be three hundred seventy five thousand. It's like, uh, are you sure about that count? Because uh, this is about four oh six and change. Uh, but here it is, like. And Matt yeah. Damon's character just doesn't doesn't respond like, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> He's like, I must have miscounted. And yeah. then following that is when is when Ham was like, oh, and also this fifty thousand dollars showed up f- also. Yeah, he doesn't even say where it came from. No. Um, we should uh, talk about that scene. Ham, oh well, where he gets it? Yeah, we should, we should, we should. Which is he gets it from Aldrich, uh, from Watkins in exchange for. I mean, what Watkins says basically is like, hey. Here is Kurt, one of the criminals of this case. One of two things can happen here. Either you arrest him, you go, you send him to jail, and I kill him in jail. <laughs> or he gets killed by, by some of his own now and becomes a teaching, like kind of a, a teachable moment for, for the, for all the other minorities you're, you're oppressing cop, uh, <laughs> to learn, <laughs> hey, don't mess with, don't mess with crime. You get, or else you'll get killed, basically. Uh, and, he accepts the bribe, and also you'll get fifty thousand dollars out of it, which is the fifty thousand dollars that they got from Naismith, right, from the Studebaker guy. Well, no, um, they got more than that, which is why he's okay oh, they, with right. This. They did get more. They than got that, a bag right? that's one hundred ninety-five thousand dollars. You're in right. It. He also got paid off that. You're right. Yeah, because later, that later money, on, not too expensive for him. <laughs> the Studebaker money, that money's good. That money <laughs> spends. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so presumably Ham takes that. Or, yeah, obviously, Ham takes that deal. And says, yeah, you deal with them. That's fine by me. But then doesn't even take the the money. That's the shocking part. Right. That's the thing. He's willing to let this guy get killed extrajudicially by other criminals. He's not willing to take a $50,000 bribe Um, that other people saw him take. That's his cops. His like his like henchmen here saw him take that envelope, presumably. And then he still gives it away. He has all the liability and none of the money. (laughs) Um. Yeah. Like, quietly, the biggest schmuck in the picture. A hundred percent. I love it. Police so, exist to protect capital, but like, also partially none of the liability because he's a cop at this time, right? Like they've, like even right, 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 right. Yes. Like yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Um. So, so then we get our last scene here. It sure looks like Kurt's about to be executed. He is taken to what looks like a dumping ground uh, on the like industrial outskirts of Detroit. Uh, it's a, it's a like industrial waterway and he's hauled out of this trunk and he's facing Watkins and Watkins asks him, 
what made him believe that he could trust Watkins to hold up his end? What do you make of this scene? Like, what do you like? Why do you think Watkins lets him go here? Do you think the answer matters that Kirk gives? I think I think there's a wrong answer, but I don't know if there's a specific right answer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think if he was like, well, I know you love money. Like, all right, you're done. <laughs> like, but what he says, what he says is something like you can be trusted, right? Yeah. Like, why do you think you can be? Why do you? Uh, why did you trust me? Why did you, what made you think you could trust me? You can be trusted is just this like interesting. I, I, I don't know what to make of that line. I think I like it. I think I like that. It's. Cheadle's character, it's Kurt just saying, you know, reiterating the truth of his belief uh, uh, as strongly as he can and as directly as he can, um, and refusing to boil it down to a specific. There's no twist here. There is no. Um, he wasn't running no, an angle, right? There's no this. angle here. It's like I thought I, you caught up. He's like, no. The reason, the reason that I trusted you is because I trust you. That's kind of interesting. I feel um, like part of know. that has to do with the code book, right? Which he's been carrying this mm. whole time. If he had wanted that it. code book back, he could have killed him, right? There was like this kind of mutual trust happening in both ways there, where he's like, "Yeah, sure, hold on to it. You, do, if as long as you don't do anything, I trust you, and you know, I'm, I'm not gonna go kill you." Like, right? He wasn't technically mm. until no, wasn't there a, the bounty a happened after. after the after the the job. This is the thing that bounty wasn't there before oh. when he's just holding the book. Right. So there's something about that that I feel like is like what he re- what he's really saying there is almost like you trusted me long enough that I have to return that favor almost, you know, in like a weird way. Right. Because he's like, I don't know, like that's a lot of information f- to be floating. Like it's uh, it was the, his entire the, criminal enterprise. Right. Like implication was always that Kurt was holding on to it, at least because it could be assumed that someday he was going to try to auction that or or make a play on it. Right, but he didn't, and I think he's kind of he leveraging that in that. I, right, I don't know. I, I, I think, I just, I, I don't think there's a mutual trust happening. I don't like. I, well, I just, you earlier alluded that it was community that saves him, right? This is I a think black, this is, and my read on that when you said that was this is about one black gangster knowing what it is to be a black gangster in this world, or to not even be a black gangster, but to be a black man in this world. Yeah, I, I don't right. think I think I think if anything, the code book was a f- reason for distrust. I think at the end, what saves Kurt is that he sort of throws himself on because you like you can be trusted because I choose to trust you. It's an act of mm-hmm. faith that I like. I don't think you're like that. I don't think you would do this. Also, five k. He also only asks for five thousand dollars. He asked yeah. for what his original payday was. He yep. does not ask for more because that was never what his plan was. Was to ask for more. He kind of um, – he could have made a play here. He could have said uh, mine and Ronald's money. He could have said 50K. He could have said 10K, you know, but he says yeah. 5,000, just what's mine, you know? And that, that's um, specific to the, the plot of land, right? Like it's $47,000, $4,700. Yeah. 4700 And yeah. it's I, – I like the kind of callback to the beginning of the film where he says uh, someone said uh, 5,000 was your number. Right, like everyone's got the number that they're willing to do to do any job or like whatever job for, and that was his. Right. And I like that we end up finding out why that why that is the number and why the reason that it's low is not just because he's a black man compared to other white men getting paid more. Like that's part of it, but mm-hmm. also it's that it's all he needs to get out. Right. 
That's his getting out money. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's and and is he getting out? Like I think right. Watkins also knows why he wants that money, and he thinks it's he thinks it's kind of funny that this guy is going uh, back to the Midwest uh, to try and buy this old land. And to a degree, like it's it's ambiguous at the end. Like Kurt's out; he's got what he wants, but like, can he buy back in? Like, can he ever make this other wrong that he wants to right? Is he is is trying to chase this going to lead him anywhere good? It feels like we'll find out in a TV ser- series, a limited run series <laughs> yeah. coming in two years. Like that's what it feels like so much to me. That uh, Steven so, Soderbergh made in his backyard with yeah, with, exactly. and it, 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 now he doesn't want to use the new iPhone. He he's going to use one from five years ago because he likes the lens better. He likes the lens. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Absolutely. No, I love. It's nice and noisy. That's what I like about it. Yeah, Low like megapixels. I've actually been keeping this iPhone in dirt for five years um, <laughs> at a specific process I was going through. Look how blown Kansas out these City faces dirt. get. <laughs> yes. Um, I like it that it can't do an autofocus correctly. Like it's great. <laughs> You never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> so, file like where we where we come down on this movie. I, I think for me, it's um, as I, is the, the way talking through it as if in a parking lot outside the theater makes me like it more. Yeah, like, yeah see, I, I, I I didn't like this movie very much watching it. I thought it was yeah. fine. It was yeah, serviceable. Yeah, yeah. It I, partially it was disappointment over the movie I wanted versus the movie I was served. But even once I got into that mode, it just felt really low energy. I just never felt it got into a gear. But in talking about it, I feel feel like I like the script of the movie better than the film that I watched. Mm-hmm. Um, that happens, yeah. And 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 so like the ideas, the scenes, like I came out of this being like, oh shit, I don't know if I want to really like this is kind of what I thought. Maybe I shouldn't do this podcast with these two guys. They have a better vibe. They're both gonna like the movie and think it's a masterpiece. <laughs> and I'm gonna be just like, eh, it was kind of like a C plus B minus. Uh, but I really enjoyed talking about it. It makes me like it more, but not enough to probably want to revisit it like i think it's fine and serviceable but you know i i left it kind of eh. to say something sacrilegious probably for for listeners i like it more than logan lucky a movie that i was like greatly disappointed by i know that people Mm. love logan lucky i think there's great performances in logan lucky but it fully missed for me um uh ironically the the part of the reason it missed for me is how much i love nice guys which isn't a soderbergh film but it's playing in the same the same like I think you could do a spectrum with nice guys, Logan Lucky in this movie, and uh, uh, I am in the nice guys in this movie version of that 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 part of the spectrum more. Um, so, so I, yeah, yeah. I think all said, really like talking about it, like talking about it more than I liked watching it. Um, yeah. I I would also have loved the version of the movie that stayed in the first act. Yeah. I wish mm. we'd also gotten that movie somehow. That is just this like tense and kind of darkly comic. Uh, you know, household hostage situation and seeing those characters. Like, you could do this almost like a bottle episode style, one room or one house set, just these three characters or four characters or whatever, you know, talking and the tension there would have been very, very cool. Um, or so some sort of like, like limited series that was like a three-part. Yes. Like, I, yes. I, this movie is like bust, busting at the seams in terms of like yeah. what it wants to accomplish despite the fact that it's not especially long by modern film standards, like at the end of the movie, it felt longer than it was, but then realizing it was less than two hours, like, Oh, this seems like this movie would have, could have easily, especially because it went straight to video because of the HBO max stuff, uh, could, could have been two hours and 40 minutes. Like no, no problem. It could have been a four episode limited series, right? Right. I I think it would have benefited from, from like that that ability to to breathe. I watched, um, 
um, last week I watched Sharp Objects, uh, uh, a which which was another limited run uh, series. The HBO like Louisiana uh, is it Louisiana? Uh, like no, it's, it's not Louisiana. The... It's uh, Missouri. It's Missouri. Okay. I've heard um, really. good. I watched the first episode, and never got back around to it. You but should go it back a, to it. I heard it like it's, it ended it's, very satisfyingly. It's a it's an adaptation from a Gillian Finn or Gillian Gillian Flynn um, book. Gillian Flynn also wrote Gone Girl. Um, uh, and it's in that same space. It's playing a little, with a lot of the same sense of ambiguities and et cetera. Um, and it's, it's, you know, the mini series is not a new thing, <laughs> you no. know, uh, but in any regard, but it disappeared for quite some time. And I'm it's kind of like very, the only thing that HBO was doing for a long time, like right, having well, the restraint to just do like a one-off of a story. And um, that is like, I'm very glad that, that American television is getting back to that limited run miniseries model because, that's an eight episode run. This could have been a this. I would have. I wish this would have been in that model of hey, here's five episodes of everything. Here's four episodes of a thing. It can sustain that. It can sustain that at a degree of focus and production value that you don't get out of a you know a seven season run of something. Um, uh, and this is unrelated, probably. You know, this is just. I know this is just my like little side conversation, but like I just like that that mode of storytelling quite a bit and and I would like to see more people again I guess this mosaic show was a similarly limited run series maybe I should just go look that up but sort of like did the nick like that's one of his like right. few like but that was that was a proper television how many seasons did the nick get two two and, oh I think, two. I think, okay. I think he's making a third okay yeah I think he's time um, skipping though given the can I mm-hmm. uh can I read this line because I'd read about this when I was reading about the film um, yeah sure please this movie was impacted by uh covid it uh in the in the sense that uh, it's it shifted up the cast and so i just want to read oh. a read huh. what the the original names were for this film it doesn't assign roles to them but just to think think about it as a thought experiment so it was announced in november 2018 that steven Spielberg would direct the film then titled kill switch um with uh josh brolin don Cheadle, sebastian stan and john cena in consideration to star Excuse by march me? 2020 John, John Hamm and Cedric the Entertainer entered negotiations with Brolin dropping out. In May 2020, it was announced Cheadle, Stan, and Hamm were confirmed with uh, Benicio Del Toro, Ray Liotta, Amy Smets, uh, Frankie Shaw, and George Clooney joining the cast. Filming was due to begin on April 1st, 2020, but it was delayed as a result of COVID-19 pandemic. Soderbergh stated he was hoping to restart in September. The film was retitled uh-huh. No Sudden Move, began filming in Detroit on September 28th with David Harbour, Brendan Fraser, Karen Culkin, Noah Duke, right. Bill Duke, and Julia Fox running the cast, while actors Stan, Cena, and Clooney departed due to production delays. In October, Matt Damon was added to the cast in a cameo role production wrapped on November 12th. It's funny because um, I would have put Clooney as the as the Damon, Damon yeah. That's the only one that maps very cleanly to me. Right. It's like a been in a bunch of Soderbergh productions would be the kind of the open- Del Toro role. You think? I mean, basically, well, Out of Sight is that character, right? Like, Out of Sight yeah. is another character, like, in the process of... But Del Toro was already in this mix, wasn't he? No, he wasn't. I see. Uh, yeah, so May 2020, Benicio is in the cast with Clooney. Okay. Yeah, um, that to me makes me think that he's still that. that and then Clooney drops out in when like filming is, is supposed to begin. But then who, is, who do you think Sebastian Stan and John Cena are here? Do you think John Cena is doing the David Harbour? <laughs> we should actually. Oh God, no. Is John Cena the Brendan Fraser? Soderbergh. Like, oh. hmm. This is a thing that hmm. Soderbergh has also started to really enjoy doing. Working with people you do not expect to pop up right, in a sure. major Hollywood production. Yeah, playing so he works type. with Sasha yeah. Gray. He works with uh, right, you know right. Channing Tatum. Mm-hmm. Uh, he works with um, 
going back. He works the, with what's her face? Haywire. Right? Well, yeah, what's yeah, Haywire. Haywire? We're both thinking the same movie here. Yeah, what's uh, her name? Oh my god, MMA fighter, name? extremely yeah. canceled. Wait, is she also <laughs> extremely canceled? You're thinking of a different head. Uh, Gina- oh yeah, Gina Carano. Yeah, also <laughs> canceled. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Sorry, also, I was thinking Ronda also, Rousey. Gina also, Gina Gina fighter. I don't yeah. know how real this is. I saw John Levitt tweet about this. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Oh, good. This is how, how all good stories start from yeah. Rob Zagney. <laughs> like he uh, he said that all the line readings in Haywire are not Gina Carano because her line readings were so fucking bad. That Soderbergh had to dub her over with um. God, uh, this has to be somewhere if this is true because this would be incredible. That would be incredible. She's so bad. Like yeah, on top me, of being a bad person. Oh, right, uh, Laura San uh, Giacoma. Uh, that she had to come in and like do all the line readings. Uh, <laughs> Unbelievable! Hey, Is there another instance of something like that even happening? Pro- I mean, probably. Yes. R- but like, that's got to be so exceedingly rare to have your dialogue. Well, a wild thing is. Now it is called ADR, but that used to just be how you got talkies. Like, this is the other weird part is like, it's so weird to go watch like movies from the early 30s. And some of them, they're recording it live on set. And some of it, the actors play their scenes, they read their lines, and then they go into a booth and read their lines for the soundtrack. And it's like, it's so weird to think about this stuff. And that's how Spaghetti Westerns were made, right? Like, even later on, just like, none of that, none of, nobody was actually or they were talking but right, none of right, the right. things you hear in the in the at at the final cut of a spaghetti western was actually on, shot on set because i think they're even speaking in their own languages some like some people are speaking mm. english some people are just speaking italian <laughs> well yeah you, you also see this in like uh like a, a lot of like uh, the, the rise of like italian horror films which like are constantly like rotating through on shutter when you're and you're watching God. it just like you can just see the like uh, sometimes with those films they would shoot them twice like huh. they would have the actors shoot it in Italian and in poor English. So you're like watching to see like, is this eighty yard? It's like, oh no. Mm-hmm. Like they're no, they're speaking in English, like, but just doing a very bad, you know, doing their best given the circumstances. But like that's how they would make it because they didn't want um <laughs> they wanted American audiences to like buy the films better than you know, subtitles or like the other ways that you could go about shooting shooting Odd. that stuff. She, uh, uh, Gina Carano from some podcasts says, Steven Soderbergh wanted Mallory, the main character of Haywire, and Gina to be two completely different entities. I think in the sports world, you end up falling in love with the person that is Gina Carano. <laughs> okay. And it makes it a little <laughs> bit more difficult to take to take me uh, uh, and put me into a Mallory Kane type character. And so he did some sort of altering and mixing, and we went back to ADR, and he really worked hard at making Mallory be a different entity. And he did a really genius job in that. It's just an honor to be part of it, whether there's altering or not. There's a little joke I was saying. Even if he would have shaved my head and put Bill Clinton as my voice, I would have still done it. All right. Miserable. That, Shut the that fuck up. That sounds like – I feel like in that, you are you are getting how Steven Soderbergh pitched it to her. To 100%. Like, to like yes. let her like, – yes. so – what I'm going for here is this, as opposed to... You're just to, too good. People just, <laughs> just uh, love people you so much. Gina. You're like, oh my god. <laughs> just give me more of that Gina Carano. But they don't see you as the character. Anyway. Incredible. Delightful. Um, so yeah, I... Ultimately, like, I was also preparing... I think the way this movie's been marketed as very much as, like... One, remember Ocean's Eleven? We love it. It's a swinging heist movie. Remember Out of Sight? We're back to Detroit, and we reunited a bunch of the cast from Traffic. It's going to be mm-hmm. all this good shit. It's going to be fun vibes. 
and it's much more of a uh yeah like dark crime comedy Mm. And that's a different vibe. And I think it took me a bit to adjust my expectations watching this movie. But it's, but not, I but think, it's not yeah. like full Fargo either, right? Like it's no. not. No, it's, but it's in it's, that space. I, I was surprised to fight in that space. But, it, yes. but it's not. Th- but I think that's why it's like such a hard movie to pin down when you're watching yeah. it for the first time. That maybe if you watch it a second time, you could more sit more comfortably with what it is. Because even if you were to separate the marketing, like the movie starts like, oh, look at these like bumbling dopes bumbling, and yeah, like yeah. in over their heads. And like, that's not also not true, but it, but it's playing in that same Coen brothers space. It almost, totally. it almost felt like a side plot to season. What was it? Four of Fargo. The one with the, the, most, recent the one. most recent one, right? Like yeah. four is the one that's the the um with that Chris I, Rock, right? Yeah, Chris Rock, yes, the Black yes. Mob, and the yes, 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 yes. All right, so just a couple questions before the end here. Adam writes, "Hey y'all, like Sidney Lumet before him, I feel as though Steven Soderbergh is written and talked about as a talented auteur with no distinct style. After a decade plus of seeing his work, I have begun <laughs> to see that he does have a style, but one so subtle that I'm at a loss as to how to describe it." What qualities would you say makes a film Soderberghian, and what films, whether by Soderbergh or other, would you consider tent poles of the style? Huh. I think when I saw this question, here's the thing. I think Soderbergh has a Kubrickian iciness to his view. Um, his films, I think, have a slight like detached, like um not, voyeuristic is almost the right way. It's a very detached camera. It's a, the characters just sort of stuck there on, on the frame, mm-hmm. and you aren't necessarily building a ton of empathy with them just through like shot selection. You aren't you are you are observing them more than you are inhabiting them or, or taking positions alongside them. I think that's uh, a lot of Soderbergh's movies. They feel almost documentary in that way, uh, where, where you're observational. But I think the difference is Kubrick genuinely is kind of cold and he does just want to sh- like unfurl the story and make his point and he tends to choose like harder material hard- harder subject matters Soderbergh is like you want to make a Kubrick film but you also want to make a cool fun popcorn movie and well, I feel like yeah. that is Soderbergh uh, when you boil it down I think you're right I, I, for me you're not wrong when you talk about the kind of like voyeuristic documentarian stuff especially in quiet moments between characters but there is something about when I think about Soderbergh and I think about across the oceans films, across out of sight, um, uh, all that stuff. I, I think he makes really slow music videos. I yeah. think uh, uh, he is all of, like we when we say something is cinematic, what we mean is big grand shots, tracking shots that follow characters that look really cool. Um, uh really striking you know images that that hang for a moment um but but i think there's a sort of uh, uh, all that stuff is often deployed in pop in pop music videos in rap music videos of the of the late 90s and early 2000s and soderbergh is in that soderbergh could have directed a notorious big video could have directed a, a, a diddy video um and he brings that sort of character driven swagger where a lot of the camera work is meant to like highlight the smoothness or in some cases the comedic bumbling of a character um and i think part this is part of why he could be hard to pin down is that like he is doing what pop culture has is doing more 
to a higher degree. Like he's doing the sort of when you think about the way that the oceans movies cut between parts of a different of a heist happening rapidly, he is like in some ways going along with the way in which we're already a lot of a lot of the stuff that we're doing is quick cuts between stuff. It just he's doing it a little bit better than most people are. Um, uh, there is something like, especially because he does so many ensemble movies that lends itself to switching perspectives, changing things up, moving between shots. Um, and I think that's also part of why I, I think about this in that, in that kind of music video mode, not because it's like, a I don't literally mean a music video in the Mick G is made, is directing a music video sense. I mean it in the, um, you're moving almost from from set piece to set piece. You're moving from like big dramatic uh, uh, shot to big dramatic shot, um, and along the way, you're going to feel, you know, again, I think there's just a, 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 a the word stylish it means means many things, but in this case, I think that it means a sort of like you want your characters to be have life breathed into them that makes the audience think that they're kind of cool. And I think that that rides through most of his work. Obviously, not all of his work. I, you know, his Solaris is not playing in that mode. Mm-hmm. For instance, but, but even so. even Contagion, like like yeah, like has totally. that vibe, even though it's not a You're movie right. about making them seem cool, but it's about making them seem important or or vital. But um, and it's and doing that cut like, around. And yeah, the, extends like yeah. Kate Winslet being like a you know a, a epidemiologist to you know like Lawrence Fishburne being the head of the CDC. I think that is a movie that it. I was going to say, have you watched Contagion? Well, I've, no. So that's the funny thing. I've watched it twice at different stages in the pandemic. I started. Oh I watched wow. It. <laughs> I watched it in March when I had loaded iTunes and it was at the top because everyone was just watching right. Outbreak and Contagion. Like people were just like in the mood to like exercise their fears through uh, cinema. And like that's yeah. a big part of why I, you know, like horror films is exactly doing that. So I, I uh, it was at the beginning of things. My wife was at the end of her like second pregnancy. She was like, absolutely fucking not. I want to, I want no interest in, in you watching that. Like, that makes total sense. Like I'll do it on my own on a night when she went to bed early. So I watched it and was just like, holy shit, this movie is extremely prescient. Wow. I actually found it to be kind of cathartic to watch mm-hmm. it. And then like four months in, she, you know, we had the baby and she's like, all right, I think, I think I want to watch that Contagion movie. I was like, you know what? I'm ready to watch it a second time. Let's go. And like, that's where I picked, like that movie has things like social distancing. And I didn't even pick up on it wow, the first time. Yeah, and the second sure. time you're like, holy Dude. shit. Um, this movie is a hundred percent, not hundred percent, but you know, like yeah, closely yeah, yeah. tracking a lot of, that, that even including and now I want to watch it for the third time as we entered the like at least in the United States like opening of certain things and like returns to normalcy to certain degrees. But you have yeah. this anti vax contingent and like that's what uh like Jude Law's character mm-hmm. like represents with disinformation online. And I was like, all right, now it is time for my third and final viewing of Contagion as like we've reached the like end of what that movie depicts in terms of the arc of of on the it's a you it's a mentioning great it movie. reminds me of the other big Soderberghian stylistic touch. Everything is one color in any given scene. <laughs> the filth, the the like oh we're in Mexico now so it's yellow. Oh yep. we're in the mean streets of D.C. so everything's blue and cold and just dis- like. He loves that shit. Contagion is filled with that shit. Orange. Like, Contagion orange, is orange. orange. Yeah, because it's <laughs> fortunately, it's- I love it too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's a lot. I we've seen it deploy. I think we, you know, maybe you could make the case that this is one of those things where he created a monster because traffic uses it, and then from then forward, every film that takes place 
in in Latin Man on America. Fire is like, hey, traffic really nailed what Mexico looks like. Uh, Mexico looks like yellow. burnt sienna. Yeah, yeah. dude, God. that shit. Uh huh. So, so <laughs> if 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 we want to make the case, I have to go back and rewatch Traffic now because it's. I have to know if I if I, how I Del feel Toro about is it. So good. Fifteen years. Yeah, that's the thing is I like love <laughs> Del Toro so much, and I remember him being great in it. Um, well, also he's got that thing, and this movie I think comes through too. He's got like that Dean Martin cool, where like mm. he's got that movie star thing where he just genuinely seems like he doesn't give a shit whether he's in this picture or not, and uh-huh. he just like it's like Benicio del Toro just showed up and like started doing a scene and the camera was rolling. It just all feels like so laid back, and that's even in really intense scenes like in Sicario when when he like just inhabiting like he's so convincing as this like malevolent avenging angel at the end, but also so indifferent to like. Uh, yeah. There's you know there, there's a movie happening around me, but yeah. this is all very un. It feels very unstudied. I feel um, like Soderbergh like is shooting a film, and then like Benicio like comes by. He's like, turns out I want to be in this movie. He's like, all right, okay. How do yep. we get Benicio we in, in the movie? Yeah. <laughs> um. God. So I'll just end here with a more general movie question because I think it's a good one because I feel like we're all various like ty- we're. We are the sort of people who might not be cool about this, and so it's a good question to consider. Okay. Hello, party people. <laughs> How do you play it cool, cool when showing someone a movie you enjoy? I have a terrible oh. habit of looking over to make sure they're also loving don't it, do it, which don't. is not a cool Please or chill do way it. to watch it. I had this argument. I had this conversation. It wasn't an argument. It wasn't. It was a, it was a conversation. Okay, maybe this is a me thing. I <laughs> cannot deal with being... I have... I have, you would think, as someone who puts himself professionally in front of a camera all the time, that I am chill with being looked at in that way, but, like, nothing sets me off more than someone consistently looking at me instead of looking at the movie. Um, It makes me feel like I have to perform a certain sort of enthusiasm, um, and that takes me out of the moment, and more importantly, like, triggers all sorts of weird social anxiety you know things for for me that I've been dealing with my whole life uh, without knowing that I was dealing with them for my whole life, um, and uh, uh, so I, I please don't do the thing where you are like checking to see if the person is digging the movie that you that you gave them. But I think there's a, the harder question is how do you even intro something to someone that you love without setting that standard or setting that bar to begin with or being <laughs> being bummed if they don't like it or don't respond as enthusiastic. See, I don't I don't really have I've never this is partially just like I'm like a hermit with like, you know, kids and so I don't have as many experiences where I'm like putting things in front of other people and also my wife and I have the exact same taste in yeah. things and so they're like I'm never really presenting things to her. Sometimes it's like taking a risk on a, a material that I'm like, hey, this is like, you know, upsetting or sad, like, but like I think it's gonna be good enough and like there's there's that. But um I do find that because like wife is like mostly deferred, like you research movies, you you're you're, you're like you know a lot. So it's like when like we have family over and it's like everyone wants to sit down and watch movies. She's like, I don't know, what should we watch? And she just like turns to me. And I was like, well, okay, like I know uh-huh. your taste, like a fine tooth comb. <laughs> yeah, but everybody but, else. Like when your aunt comes to town and she doesn't go to bed early, like other family members, she wants to sit and watch a movie. I don't know what to pick. And like that I found to be so profoundly stressful to like figure out like what is something that we can all be entertained by, but I don't have a good sense of like not necessarily politics, but just like tastes and like levels of interest and like 
uh, violence or I, I just don't know. It's like yeah, I, that I found of, to be like yeah. extremely stressful to be the person who is looked at as you're the movie guy. Figure out what's going to entertain us, and then trying to figure out like so. There are times where like I will set aside films on Letterbox. That's like that seems to fit a bucket. I don't need to see that immediately, but could be a movie I could pull from in the future. If I find so you, myself, you're just in not doing the thing at all where you're like, this is a movie I love. I'm sharing it with someone. Not re- not because re- like, yeah. that's what it like. It just doesn't have like, it. Does, yeah, the yeah. person I'm watching movies with 99% of the time is my wife. And we're both always talking about the movies we want to watch. And like, we don't, it's rare to have, we have guests over in the day. It's very rare to have guests over at night. And so like watching movies with like groups of people just doesn't happen as frequently right. in, in, the- my, in my life. I will say that when I think about the times I've done this, wh- one is I tend to recommend someone – if I really like a thing, I tend to want to recommend that someone watch it the way I did, which tends to be by myself or in their own time in whatever their most comfortable way is. No, I'm not a big like, let's watch this together because I loved it person. Um, but the times that I have done that, I think about like – I saw Fury Road in theaters and then immediately made plans to see it with, with a friend, partially because because they were in town and it was like, hey, we should hang out and go to the movies. Um, uh, but also because I really liked that movie. And I think in general, I do the sort of like, hey, I'm not going to say anything about the movie. Um, I really liked it. I'm excited to hear what you think about it. Um, and then wait until after to have the kind of like breakdown talk. Again, like I said, the kind of in the parking lot. Hey, what do you think of it? Um, and, and, and that sort of like, what did you think of it? More than the like, wasn't that great? Because the second you go in in that (laughs) mode, it's just like, you know, I don't know. Learning to accept that the things you like aren't the things other people like sometimes is part of growing up and like letting your taste mature. And that's not a bad thing if you end up liking things that other people don't like or or not liking things that other people do like. like. I think that that's just you coming to understand your own palate a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, me. um. I mostly watch like Patrick uh, m- movies and TV with my wife and we have a pretty big overlap. Like the Venn diagram of our tastes is like not a full circle, but the the biggest area is our kind of overlap, but there's always those edges. And at those edges, it's kind of like, it's sometimes hard, hard to tell whether or not I think this is a good thing and therefore she will like it as well. Uh, or, this is a good thing that I like, and she is probably not going to be interested in it uh, unless it's horror. She like cannot do horror at all, so I know I'm just going to go watch that by myself in the theater. Kyle, you just got to come to our house. Just yeah, come just, with us for just a come through. While. Quick, quick, yeah. Fly, yeah, quick flight over to Chicago. We'll just do it. We'll just do a, a week, uh, and we'll just oh bang out a, bu- a bunch of movies. Hell yes. Um, but so, yeah, I think it's the 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 answer is adding on to what Austin was saying. It's just like even if you. If you're share like this is the this is the only and and thus this is the reason that I have to I I do this thing like I will suggest things to friends and like let them watch it on their own but because we the 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 way we kind of spend time together is watching things I'll put a suggestion of like hey I enjoyed this once upon a time like usually it's older movies from like our childhood or whatever and like I think you might also like it I hope you do like it let's watch it I think it's a good one um and I understand that impulse to kind of be like. Oh, I remember really enjoying this scene and like like peeking over and like you just have to like not yeah you have to not you have to it's never gonna even if they react the the same way 
um that you did or the way you're expecting them to it i don't know like you you know when somebody's like watching you i don't know you can always feel it even if you don't think that oh, they, yeah. that they're noticing they're noticing they're noticing and it's just like yeah yeah you have to find it in your in your in yourself to just be like i'm letting this go almost as if it were just a recommendation <laughs> even if you are in the same room just like they're gonna react how they're it's gonna like react, the, and I'm gonna enjoy it because I already enjoy I the movie. Just, right? Please don't over like not please don't, but it can be rough. I, I a good friend of mine really loves like Shit's Creek, and it's gotten to the point where it's like, oh, I just can't. If I watch it, I have to do it privately at this point, uh-huh. and I will let you know. One <laughs> oh, the day more I am I, told to watch something, uh, the less, the less I, yes. likely I fundamentally right. will never watch The Good Place. The Good Place will have to have <laughs> gone through an entire. Well, it'll be a decade before I watch The Good Place at this point because. It's been sold to. It's been so oversold to me at this point, and it's been sold to me in ways that are frustrating because it ends mm. up being feeling like people calling a shot on you, where they're like, "Oh, you're a black philosophy guy. Okay. That show has a black philosophy guy." Okay. It's like, oh, like I'm just bad. never going to watch this now. I'm <laughs> I just, don't like. I'm South just Park. never going to watch this. So I don't again. like South Park. But yes. there's a scene where every like Cartman finally goes off, where everyone's like, everyone's always telling me to watch fucking Family Guy. And he like outlines his why he doesn't think his humor is like Family Guy. And you can argue with the merits of this case. Like, I don't care about South Park at all. I'm not right. in this. But right. yeah, that whole like shot calling aspect of it yeah. is like, you see me this way and you see these two things are like, oh, you, you're the same. And I'm telling right. you they're different. We think and we act in different ways. More importantly, tell me why you like a thing, not why yeah. you think I will like a thing. I will. I generate because that way, even if I never watch it, I will have joy in you explaining and unpacking your own taste and the things that you love about a thing so much more than you trying to connect the dots for me ahead of my own like connection to it. I'm not saying never do it. You know, I think inside of the world of video games, the four of us often will tell the other person, "Oh, this is a you type of thing," and then trust that that's enough to encourage you to go check it out. Um, but what really gets me, what really like. The conversation, like the other day, Patrick and Kato on on uh, an episode of Waypoint Radio were talking about Boomerang X, and them talking about what they they loved about that game made me want to go play that so much more than if either of you had tried to like mold your your explanation to like <laughs> my taste. Like, oh, well, there's a mysterious island, and the story's not the main point, but there's kind of cool stuff happening in the back. Like, you could imagine pitching that game for Austin Walker, sure. and instead, right. you pitched the game for you. You said, "This is what makes me excited about it." And that makes me excited about it. I think maybe that's a good rule of thumb is if you're going to do the hard sell, don't do the hard sell and over curate the thing you're saying to the person that you're talking to. That person knows themselves so much better than you think you know them. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. is where I was going. Like, here's how, here's how here's how you can do it. If you want to see the reactions, you got to not sell it at all. You got to no sell it. It's gotta be like, you gotta be happy, like, hey, we're just putting on a movie tonight. I want to watch yeah. this because you do because it's one of your favorite movies. Like uh-huh. if if I were to show someone who I don't know how I'm friends with this person, but they'd never seen sneakers. Yeah, I uh-huh. would just be like, Rob, hey, I had this experience. Sneakers. Yeah, yeah. Wait, just have you not seen sneakers? This seems like cool vibe. It, wait, what? Wait, Kato hasn't seen. Oh, hold sneakers. on. Sorry. <laughs> is this really happening? <laughs> it's happening. Sneakers is not like a well-loved movie in the masses. All right. Kato, we're gonna no. This is perfect. We're gonna do it live. We're doing it live. <laughs> everyone, folks. everyone, stop what you're doing. Pull up sneak. No, okay. Uh, but my my point is, like, it's just normal. Like, we're just hanging out watching a movie, and then I'm curious, like, what this person might make of it. But I'm not like the minute you're like, 
I love this movie the most. It's so important to me. It's like, I think it's one of the greatest movies ever made. You're going to love it. It's not really about their reaction at that point. You're kind of making it about you and you're not letting them have their own relationship with the film. Um, and if like, if you want to see what relationship they do form with the film, you kind of got to no sell it. And then you just sort of check out like, how do certain moments land? Right? Like, uh, you know, how does like, are they totally engaged when like Cosmo is confronting Mati on the roof uh, and sort of giving his uh, sort of final speech Don't about spoil the rise of the information age? <laughs> yeah, um, like you can you can do that, but you but you can't have your cake and eat it. You can't be like this is the greatest movie ever, and you're going to love it. And it means a lot to me. Yeah, and also now I'm going to watch it and make sure that you're loving it the same way that I do. Too what overbearing. Yeah, you can Where's either the movie be like sneakers from. It's from the early '90s. It's it's uh, the thing I love about sneakers to do the version it's of the not about I said sneaker we culture. Do. It's not about sneaker culture. Sneakers okay. is a is a movie about a group of uh, of heist heist folks who are professional heist folks, not in the criminal sense, but in the we're going to test your security system sense. Oh, penetration! Um, they're testing. all penetration yeah. testing. Exactly that. Yes, um, they are all people who are from various kind of subcultural spaces, countercultural spaces in some instances, um, who are trying to find their place in a post-Cold War world. In fact, the whole film is sort of about the emergence of uh, computers and, and information culture and information technologies um, in the post-Cold War world, uh, the immediately post-Cold War world, where you have a bunch of spies and a bunch of intelligence agencies and an entire world order that has been oriented in one way, and suddenly it has to reorient itself, along with the emergence of these new technologies, which are themselves reorienting the world along with them. It's an, it's another it's another kind of dark comedy heist. Not as dark as this. We're not talking about mm. like ah, you know. Actually, it's in this space a little bit. I'm thinking about certain <laughs> scenes. Um, uh, and and it's it's another ensemble cast. It's it's Robert Redford. It's Dan Aykroyd. It's Ben Kingsley. Mary McDonald. Um, Sydney Portier is in it. Uh, yeah. It is great in it. Um, River Phoenix is in it uh, before before he died. David Strahan. Um, yeah, totally. Some some great 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 uh, actors in it. Um, worth definitely worth your time. It's on HBO Max also. Um, yeah. Uh, so also, which is like that really cool early late eighties early nineties computing technology. So yeah. lots of lots of monochrome and screens. long enough that it's really cinematically engaging yep. uh, and you <laughs> feel it Lots of uh, and also it's, it's san francisco before right, the tech boom right. swamped the city yes, um, yes where it's yes. it's a hotbed of new tech and innovation but it's not like silicon valley is not a word that it's not a phrase that happens in yeah. that movie it's it also really anticipates concept. a lot of stuff uh around the ways in which policing and intelligence what happens when the when the war is over so to speak um, uh, anyway, Kata, when we, we watch this, this. Yes. you got to watch it with your webcam on <laughs> and <laughs> tightly cropped on your face. Uh -huh. And Austin and I are going to tell you what the good parts are. <laughs> and well, you know, this part, just this so next you know, scene, this, next scene is like, this is the good part. Here we go. Yeah, Kato, I need you to buy that night vision camera that the, you're researching. Yeah. Um, so that you can make sure you can, you, you want it to be dimmed and you're going to want a right. 5.1. It's got to be a uh, Rob, pitch Rob's going to send you his 5.1 uh, surround system because it's the only one right, I trust. Oh, right. To deliver. Um, I can't wait I I to watch the 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 bear guy do some hacking. God, the bear okay. guy. The bear guy. That's so <laughs> mad. Remember, he doesn't know who Robert Redford is. Yep. Oh what my god. Now, just all right. Uh huh. Well, that does it's it. A gift. I think we're good wait. now. 
Wait, 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 wait. Is it Redford he doesn't know or is it New? He didn't know either of them. He didn't I didn't know, know either Redford of them. Or Paul Newman. And so you said The Sting. And I was like, all right, my parents love that movie and never let me watch my dad, it. It's my dad's favorite movie. Shout out to my dad. <laughs> uh, oh, I just I wanted to make one final point before we, we get out is that uh, they're like, I've been, you know, with my wife for like close to two decades now. And one of the things we did over COVID was she had been increasingly making a list of movies that I had never seen that meant Ooh. a lot to her, like mm-hmm. growing yeah. up. She was like, how yeah. the fuck didn't you see that movie like stand by me was like the one that like set this off where it was finally like this is too much this right, is too right, much right. where this is a, this is now a formal list and i had like sworn off video games during my uh paternity leave and i was like we're gonna watch a lot more movies and tv shows and just i don't have to play games for work and so we're gonna do that and so we started working through that list and there was like again it's also helpful that like our tastes are like 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 kato's uh relationship like so closely aligned and over yeah. only on certain edges does it not overlap um uh, but like where it was is like she's, I'm gonna show you Stand by Me, and I know you're gonna fucking love this movie because she knows me that well, and she knows I'm gonna. And she's like, and mm-hmm. I, the whole time, I'm like ah, oh, ah, oh, I fucking love this movie. Like this is great. <laughs> um, and that Discord is real, could not handle that enthusiasm. Yeah, Discord not, like, did not come through to us. Cut his silenced you. Um, <laughs> and, and there is a joy when you're in when you know someone when you actually do know someone well enough, like down to their to their bones to like. I know they are going to lose their shit when they watch this. And it's such a joy that you get to experience that. So there is the flip side that the two of you were describing. Yes, you're right. Like of the irritation over the expectations and putting your personal experience and putting that on someone. But when you truly do know that like, oh, I got one. Like, ooh. Like you've been with your wife for how many years? Right, close to a two decades. That's what I'm saying. Like those those experiences can happen. And I just wanted to illustrate like when you can have the flip side of that where you can know someone well enough that you like you're just like oh i have opened this box for you and like you are just going these are there's just chocolate inside and like yeah. you can have as much as you want like and watching someone have that experience and knowing that you brought it into their lives and like that that is truly a cool thing that it, it is also, that is yeah i also think it's worth another thing that that you just said was it's a list there's a list of movies to go through where these are a bunch of things where, like, you know your wife loves them, but you don't right. necessarily know what her own order of them is. And and in some ways, I think that that might dilute the expectation a little bit. There's going to be some sure. you like and some you don't like. As long as some of them are hits, it's going to feel like it, uh, the whole project was worth was worth. Yeah, because that's that's the point is the project and you know just, her own of just watching more. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, exactly. And that was the whole point was it was a covid project as opposed to like. You need to see Stand By Me. It's also, Friday night. Are you up for, is it a Stand By Me night? Uh, right. No, it was like, no, let's, let's pull up the list and, you know, we'll watch a couple trailers and, and go from there. Also, I just want to reiterate that, like, it's okay to not like movies and to have your friends and your people, your loved ones, not like the same movies as you. There's nothing I trust less than a person who doesn't dislike something, right. doesn't dislike anything. Someone who's just like everything they say is about how good the show they just watched is, and they just that's all they ever say is like this show is great, this show is great, this show is great. <laughs> like, well, then I, I say it's about my own work. Uh, like, if you tell me every podcast I make is a is a banger, I'm like, well, I just I'm going to disregard everything you just told me <laughs> because I know, I know what I'm. I know that's not I know, right? Don't tell me. Oh yeah, every stream you do is great. Like, no, it isn't. Otherwise, what you're telling me is you have no standards and it's not worth my effort because I could just show up and mumble into a microphone and you'd have a good time. Like, I get you're saying I have a good batting average, so to speak, but like, I know I make bad content. I make a lot of content. If I didn't make any bad content, my, I would listen. Our situation would be different. If I was making bangers every day, we would, I would have, I would have big podcast money, not little podcast money. 
which is to say enough money to be pay Benicio my rent. Del Toro with <laughs> I'd be Benicio, I, and I'm the money. holding all that money. Exactly. About to get shot. That's twice. how that's how Google like delivers it when you're big on YouTube. Right. Exactly. They just Austin's making his escape with his girlfriend. Spotify. <laughs> oh no! Spotify shot him twice. Don't worry. The first time got hit by his his pocket flask, but it doesn't oh matter. Spotify still has the gun. Uh, oh. Anyway, all right. Well, good podcast. I was aiming for an, you know, two hours twenty minutes. Not the worst we've done. It's yeah. all right. Good conversation. Longer than the runtime, but we had we had questions to answer. And now we gotta we gotta arrange a little sneakers viewing for Kata. Yeah, we do. We can't be the next one that we do that because we have no. the next one planned. Yeah, next we up we're gonna be doing, and I think we'll be doing this like pretty soon. Uh, we're gonna be doing the Forever Purge uh, since we've done that whole little series. I ended up liking it. I think more than a lot of us expected, and I think more yeah. than a lot of people did at the time those movies were released. Um, we're gonna look at this new one. Uh, and see what the series has become now that in some ways events have overtaken it and it's dealing with uh, some now explicitly new realities. Uh, so we almost be... watched that TV series, right? No, oh, I've heard did. We, we don't. I've we heard don't it was need. mediocre. Yeah, we don't need to. We're, we're but good. there's a lot of people who say the movies were mediocre, and I, I think they were. Yeah, great. but the people, the people like I follow enough of this. Like the people that like the movies for the reasons we like the movies were also like, eh, you're good, you, you know. Unless you really, really like that world and just I just need to know more about the NFFA. Yeah, yeah. I think we're all right. Ronnie, let us know. Yeah. I can just turn on Fox News and there's there's the Purge TV series. There it is. Except, no, it wouldn't be because I can't imagine the New Founding Fathers being on TV every night. I think the NSA is spying on me. I can. Well, no, because they own the NSA. That's the thing, right? They recognize that they own the NSA. Um, uh, whiny little chicken boy. All right. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be tackling the forever purge next. And, uh, then we got some, uh, other, other things we're working on. Probably sneakers going to happen now sooner than I thought. <laughs> sooner than later. Um, yeah. It's in the mix for sure. It's an excuse to revisit it. So fuck it. I'm down. Um, but yeah, uh, Thanks to all of you for making this possible. Uh, you know, we used to have a show like this that we did on the regular. It got canceled. Uh, not because the numbers are bad. Let's just clear that shit up right now. And not because oh. we said anything wrong. <laughs> no. No. And, and honestly, not even because our bosses, like our direct bosses, liked that we did it. Yeah. But it was it was not the thing we were we were supposed to be doing. One vice happened, and the thing we're supposed to be doing was video game stuff. Other people are supposed to do movie stuff, uh, and and as to not Look, step on their toes, focusing on the game stuff, and that way you can be as big as Kotaku or Polygon. That's no, right. you and can't have we, more staff. No, you can't have more staff. Sorry, there's no headcount coming your way. Shoulder to the wheel, boys. <laughs> Polygon has how many people working for it? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Get get polygon traffic, and then you can have polygon staff. Uh, that was the Christ. that that was the mode. But anyway, so yeah, it was just kind of like I don't know why y'all were doing movie podcasts. So let's focus on core mission. Uh-huh. Um, and honestly, again, like it is possible that uh, having twenty person hours. Well, actually, if we're doing person hours, hundreds of person hours uh, tied up in Jane Austen podcasts might not have made the best impression when the people who controlled the purse strings sort of reviewed what we were up to. Uh, but you know, we all had a good time. Um, and then, <laughs> and then of course we watched 
we watched uh, Ava anyway on the main feed. We did. Uh, and that did well, too. Yeah, you, can't, you can only stop us so much. But now, <laughs> thanks to Waypoint Plus, we can do this on the semi-regular. I uh, don't want to make, you know, outlandish promises. But we've already uh, scheduled <laughs> the next two of these, apparently. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, like, and yeah, I might have a multi-episode series set up in my head. Um, oh God! Okay, I, right. we we don't know about this one. We, no, we yeah, don't. we we got to come up with a name with this with this show. You know, it's not in the be good and rewatch it feed. I want to say that like there's a there's a opportunity here to rename a, a podcast and reshape maybe what it looks like a little bit. Also, just in this feed, so like new name, new show name because it's not a new podcast technically. It's the Waypoint Plus podcast, but it's a show on that feed. So we'll we'll figure out something. Anyway. Uh, so checks out next time. We'll be doing the, uh, the forever purge. Uh, also be sure and check out, uh, speaking of showing people things you love, uh, Patrick is helping me appreciate resident evil one. Uh, Patrick's also going to be having a deep dive discussion with a resident evil expert later this month. And then at some point, Jill Valentine. <laughs> Ethan Winters, what are Ethan you Winter. doing here? Um, you know, okay, Ethan Winters definitely has like three podcasts he wants to do in his head. He'll never do it. He never wants. He's stood in the microphone aisle he, of Best Buy bought, for twenty no, minutes. No, I think he bought think he some bought of one? the equipment, but yeah. not all of the equipment. And yeah. it's like kind of set up at his desk, but it's not plugged in. And he's downloaded yeah. GarageBand and started a project. But <laughs> how many times do you YouTube think tutorial? How many times do you think he stood in front of a microphone and been like? Hey, everybody, it's Ethan. <laughs> Hi, it's Ethan Winters here with the movie podcast. <laughs> um, what else could I do? Uh, it's Ethan, and it's time to go to the movies. He just tries different intros <laughs> over and over again. Happy birthday, Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Xbox. Keeps the trying movies. To- hey, the mo- this is going to be a fun movie. thing for me and my wife to do together. She can yeah. be on the podcast, too. <laughs> Oh, there's something weird about the chemistry. Yeah, it's just not, well, we're not having great. I mean, <laughs> mm. Yeah, uh-huh. lots of chemicals involved, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> true enough. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, join us next time. Forever Purge coming soon. Check out the Resident Evil streams. Keep an ear out for Patrick's deep dive on uh, Resident Evil with someone who really knows the text and the uh, history of that series. And then uh, at some point later this month, I will present my book report on what I make of this whole uh, landmark game that I put off playing successfully for 25 years. Um, (laughs) And now I'm playing through the lens of Patrick, giving me good guidance. I think so. I don't think Patrick's intentionally trying to sabotage me. No, no. No, no, no. I, I, I we we discussed this on the 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 main waypoint radio feed. Yeah, I, I'm I'm guardrails. Like I'm I'm just there to like not to guide you to the to the next thing, but just to sand off some of the edges. But that runs up up against my own hazy memories of a, a game yeah. that I have not played for you know 15 years at least. Patrick Guardrails Klopek. That's mm-hmm. what they call uh, him. Nailed it. You can follow him on Twitter at Patrick Klopek. You know where to follow us. You, you subscribe you know, to yeah. if you're If Plus. you're at Waypoint Plus, yeah. You guys are crushing it, it. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> and here's your award. All this content and the Forever Purge. Uh-oh. Just like you want. Wait. Wait. One of the rewards <laughs> is the Forever Purge? Oh, no. <laughs> Thank you.
Wow. Can't, disgusting. Not a, yeah, disgusting. Uh, it's not, yeah, uh, I don't judge people who no, eat it. But doesn't, it sounds like there's judgment, Patrick. <laughs> no, no, no. I got no problem with you, but I, it's not, I don't want anything to do with it. Gross. Like, that didn't make any sense. Like, I got no other problems with other, yeah. every other form of meat. I don't know. Be like, <laughs> beef jerky. I, I bet if I tried it again, I could like it, but there's something about the name, the form. <laughs> I just don't. Mm. Now, what kind of beef jerky have you tried before in your life? Did you try like a Slim Jim, or did you try like? Yeah, probably. Yeah, growing up in the Midwest, you go to a gas station. There's a Slim Jim. Yeah, Uh, exactly. I remember the Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh no! It's (laughs) how I felt. Those are that's the thing All is like right. Slim Jims aren't good jerky, but they're just like a salty meat Ubiquitous. thing. So that yeah, it's like I don't understand not really enjoying that unless it sat didn't sit. Patrick, well with I'm you. already with thousand dollars worth of these chumps. <laughs> that's not that's not a reasonable use of money, but I'm going to burden you with these. See, maybe, and, I, maybe and because I know you're thrifty, you'll have to make use of them. That's true. Yeah, I gotta find. Because you yeah, like, damn, can't. I got a thousand dollars worth of meat. I don't like. Then can I eat it? Can I chomp? Uh, can I chomp? Can I chop up this chomp uh, into tiny pieces and feed it to a baby that will put anything <laughs> in their mouth? Put it on a frozen pizza. The Elizabeth will quite literally <laughs> dog treats. What's this? Um. 